400,000 people moved out of Florida in the last year. We learned yesterday, Annemarie was 6,000 permanent residents, now down to 850 permanent residents. And the rest is short-term rentals. Holy shit. Let's get rolling, because I don't want to spoil any part of the conversation. So, TBD Podcast, this will be episode, what, what are we going to be at, 41? Whatever it is, welcome to the show. Back Damn, is, 40 would have been nice. I know, maybe we can make it happen. Yeah, we'll 40 would have been nice. We got Frank with iPhone Cities and Ryan Harding. Yep, Ryan Harding. The founder, Harding. The Frogman. The Frogman. Frog <laughs> the founder of iPhone Cities. Thanks for doing the show, man. I appreciate it. So we were just talking about, you know, the state of the market. Young people buying homes. People leaving Florida. Pull that article back up, Tyler. Let's just go through it. This article's kind of hilarious actually because it mentions cons in florida like humidity and bugs i don't i think that's kind of a ridiculous point what we were talking about is the affordability crisis prices are very high debt is very high you were even mentioning ryan you still live in the home your first home you ever bought yeah yeah but, well not my first home i ever bought but my first home when i moved out of the city in the burbs i i, I have it but it's a seven hundred thousand dollar house it's nothing crazy and i have a two percent interest rate I've been trying to move to Florida for two and a half years and I can't afford a three or four or $5 million house. And there's no reason to trade out of a great project or property, excuse me, with, you know, 2%, two and a half percent interest rates. Like I, that doesn't make any sense. I think a lot of sellers think that exact same way. They have such a low interest rate. Prices are not low enough. You're basically going to trade up no matter what. You're going to buy a more expensive home. Even mm -hmm. if it was the same home you live in now, and you're going to triple your interest rate. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. So if you don't have a crisis like a divorce, you have to move for a job, you know, child issues, and you're just relocating, it doesn't, that's not a trade you're going to make right now. Plus, I would argue I have an older home that they're built better than the newer construction homes today. So why would I trade up to a newer construction that was potentially built by a builder that hasn't been built for a long time with bad bones? Yeah, you got the charmer. Old, old wood. What is it, like a bungalow style? Yeah, it's an old Cape Cod, man. Beautiful. Yeah, it's old like me. Yeah, those it's are <laughs> great, great beard and stuff. You know, Frank's always breaking my balls over here. All the young guys. He's a mountain man. You know. Let's talk about how you <laughs> founded iPhone Cities. Let's. Where are you from originally? Originally from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah, cow country. Cow country. You know? So how did you make it to the city? So uh, played college ball two years at Pitt, and then played two years at Temple. Got my master's in Drexel, and then just kind of stayed in the city of Philadelphia. Brotherly love. And I'm fat. I love cheesecakes and cheese, you know, so it's good. Uh, cheesecakes and cheese steaks. Yeah. Yeah. At Ryan's wedding, he didn't have a cake. He just had uh, like layers of pizza. Yeah, Actually, my wife knows just, me really well. Just one of those like fondue cheese fountains. That was it. Yeah. I'm sure Tripping the, from my mouth. I'm, sure the I'm trying to get a kid's voice like, man, what's wrong with you? No, but Ryan, let's, let's dive into, yep. Yeah, I think the football piece, the background as an athlete, how that contributed to, you know, where you are now. The the road to iFund Cities, meeting Zig and CT is a super interesting um, piece of your life that I think we should talk about. It is an interesting transition from football player to, to finance guy, and especially living in the city, right? I mean, were you in Wall Street in the suit doing the whole thing in the beginning? No. N never? No. So I came out of school, went to financial services, went to work for three kind of wealthy uh, Jewish guys in Philadelphia that really helped me build my network. And I think what I would impart on a young guy is come out and, and build your network out of school, right? So I spent my first four years of my career building and being around very successful individuals and learning from them, right? Just being a sponge, asking a lot of questions. Um, from there, I got kind of poached out, went into uh, medical device sales by a former athlete at Pitt. So one of the alumni, All-American defensive end, Pete Simonian, takes me to Stryker Medical. And I kind of started a, a decade worth of, of healthcare, mm. which I did 
kind of multiple roles in, um, mostly in sales, right? Because sales is, as a young guy, that's where you can cut your teeth. That's where you can make the money, where you're, you're in control of your destiny. And I think it's really important um, journey. So from there, I had a good healthcare career, and then I spent some time kind of, my dream was really to build sales teams, like to bring the organization together, to get a bunch of young guys that were athletes that were hungry, you know, didn't have an opportunity and didn't want to be micromanaged mm. and like really build that culture. Like that's what we do really well at IFC. Um, so that's been the opportunity to kind of grow, but I started in financial services, went into healthcare, went into private equity for a little bit in oil mm. and gas and some healthcare ventures. So a salesman <clears throat> the whole way, always in the sales role until I got to the PE shop. Then I was more of an owner operator where we were building out sales teams. So I was responsible for the CRM, the sales and marketing and growing the markets. How did that first begin with iPhone cities? It's to me, it's kind of like you mentioned, right? Oh almost like Wolf of Wall Street ask a bunch of young guys on hitting the phones, making connections, making shit happen, making sales. It sounds like this was always an idea you had to create this young team of hustlers, right? So I had all, I always had a dream of building my own company and, and with really smart guys around me that complemented my skills. That's one of the things I learned throughout my journey was like, stay in your lane, know what you do really, really well. And then fill the gaps with people that do other things really, really well. And that's mm. what we've done in iPhone cities. We have a diverse group of guys with a diverse group of backgrounds. And those backgrounds all complement one another. Mm. And there's no ego, right? Like one of the things I found when I worked for other people is like a, it was an ego trip. Yeah, We, we don't have an ego trip. We want a feedback loop from our sales team. We, you know, we take criticism as leaders. We want to improve and get better. And I think that's the special sauce that I've kind of learned throughout my journey of working in lots of different places that makes a, a team unique and why we're so successful. That's it. I had the blessing, probably blessing of never having to work in a corporate structure like that. But I would imagine the animosity between coworkers, young coworkers is they all want to climb the ladder. And like, if I buddy up with this older senior executive and, and shit on the younger guy, maybe I'll get to the top quicker. Sure. So you kind of found that and immediately recognize I don't need that. I just don't fit in in a corporate culture. They they put yeah. you in a box, and you can't think outside the box. You can't be creative, and that that's one thing, Frank. You know, who, who I mean, if there's a mirror image of me, better looking version, it's Frank. Cheers, right? And so, absolutely thicker, stud. stronger beard too. You think than him? You what know a, what? That's a compliment. Well, yeah, yeah. they're so close. What yeah. do you think, Tyler? Break the tie. I edged it up myself this morning. Looks great. Thank you. Brother. So, how did you guys get connected then? Hit it, Frank. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you know, I I have my design studio. I was working there and just saw what was going on in the marketplace, started looking around, see who was, you know, in this space, and um, just started throwing out some feelers and had an opportunity to meet with his partner, Chris Terrio, um, here in Florida, and loved him, right? Loved everything he had to say. I had a fantastic time with him. We had dinner, you know, stayed out. It was a really great time. And then, um, you know, was planning on joining the group the next day, unfortunately, you know, I turned it down just because everything going on with my business, um, you know, getting some pushback from partners, do, like, hey, are you going to be able to allocate time to this if you go there? And so ultimately, I told them, hey, guys, really appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass, right? Mm -hmm. And then I it was just sitting with me for a week, maybe even, you know, 10 days, whatever it was. And I was just like, man, that doesn't feel right. Like everything about it fit you know, aside from getting pushback from, you know, partners and other business ventures. And so I was like, you know what, screw that. I'm, I'm going to go do it. Let my partners know, hey, you're not going to dictate, you know, how I do things, whatever. And um, called them back. And I was like, guys, listen, 
I know I said no, you know, but if the opportunity is still there, I would love to come and join the team. And I did. And it was the best decision. Um, and just to, you know, opine off of what Ryan was saying, one of the, I've been I've been at the, you know, big corporate companies. I've been at your midsize shops. Yeah, you were like, at Marcus. Yeah, I was at CW Capital. In Manhattan, right? Right. And so, like, I've seen all I've been part of all of these different sales organizations and one thing that they did always do was put me in a box, right? It was like, mm. this is our system. This is the way we want you to sell. If you don't fit in this box, like, on to the See next. Ya. Right, you know, and and one thing that uh, iFund Cities does really well is they look at the strengths of each individual rep, and then they put them in a position that allows them to flourish based on what their strengths are. And when did you join iFund Cities? It was this year, right? Yeah, it was about eight months ago. Eight months ago, and then how much in loan origination have you got yourself a lot 30 40 it's yeah. north of yeah. so tens of millions of dollars in loans in that short amount of time which is incredible and then when you joined in tampa was there any presence in tampa for iphone cities or were you kind of this the- is an awesome this is a huge piece and testament to ryan <coughs> so one thing ryan does really well that i learned from is being what we were just discussing is being on the streets yeah right so like Ryan would come to these new markets that they were looking to enter and he would spend, you know, months there driving around, walking around, running, runs a shit ton, rides a bike, whatever. And just like being, being on the ground, boots on the ground, meeting developers, meeting the guys who are making the market move and like developing real relationships. Like outside of funding a project, I think one of the biggest, the biggest emphasis we let our borrowers know is, hey, we're a partner for you guys. And we are invested in your project as much as you are, and we care to see you succeed. And when you can draw that connection, a, a real genuine connection with someone, it goes beyond the numbers, right? Like the half point, the it's point. So what, true. Whatever it is. And I've I've found that to I've watched Ryan beat, you know, competitors, not because of the pricing, but solely off of like who he is as a human. Um, and what we can provide outside of, you know, just the, the, the loan proceeds. Right? Yeah. So, pure relationship based. So yeah. I want to go back on a couple of things, Frank's, because I think there's really important components. Like one, if you're a leader, Frank's a unique individual. He's an entrepreneur at heart, right? So Frank's got, you know, he's creative in music. He's got, a, you know, a business and building websites. He's got a great lending and real estate background. As a leader, if you try to harness that, you're going to lose that stallion, right? But the more you let that stallion loose to flourish and do what he does really well, which is build incredible relationships, the more rewarding it is for both the sales rep Mm. or the partner in this particular case, because Frank's running Tampa and and Florida for us, right? And then they also get the creative side of it. So they're never going to, they're not going to leave, right? And a lot of people are like, all right, I'm going to control all that. Like, you're going to get here, you're going to do this. Right. And that's what that's what's broken in corporate America, right? So that's one. Two, they also don't take the time to to get to know their individual people and their in their team and what really drives them, right? And it's not always making money. Like for Frank, it's it's creative, right? It's mm-hmm. making music is really his end goal. So we have to get money's just a means to get to mm. Frank wanting to be an artist at heart, right? And help young artists thrive. Right. Right. And he's always gonna do real estate and he's always gonna do really, really well in real estate, but that's a that's really where he wants to go. So my job as a leader is to listen to that and help Frank right. move towards that direction. One thing they do, I, like as soon as you join the group, they, they identify those things off the jump. It's like, where do you actually want to be, right? And, and mm. how can we be a mechanism to help you get there? And when you feel like you have that type of leadership or support or someone saying, hey, I'm, I have a vested interest in, 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 um, in you and, and what your dreams are, then you're more inclined to go do good work for them. 
right? Like it's almost like when you have a really uh, a parent who is locking you down and and not letting you do every do anything that you want or whatever, you know, really strict parents. Catholic schoolgirls is sure. a great example. Exactly. They're always the, they're always the drunkest and the sloppiest yeah, in exactly. college. You're like, man, that guy, he wasn't out. You it's know? true though. The more someone's constrained, the more they want to break out of that box. Right. right. So like, I, I just, I, I feel like, um, you know, because they've given me a long leash and given me the freedom to operate the business the way that I choose, I'm, I'm more inclined to, um, you know, do good business on their behalf, protect the business. And, and, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm genuinely part of the, the group as a whole, right. As opposed to an individual contributor who's looking for my next check. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so you've done incredibly well here in Florida, Frank, mm-hmm. um, you know, tens of millions in loan origination. Where are you guys at nationally? How much money do you have lent out right now? What's that number? So we're, we're pretty big at this point. Um, probably said some 500 to 700 million in origination volume this year, but we in four years did a billion dollars in new construction. Amazing. So, so like in comparison to most of the other lenders, that's a five to typically seven to eight to 10 year journey for most folks. So we've mm. done a really, really good job. And, and Frank hit the nail on the head, right? The secret sauce is we're not suit and tie, right? There is a component of the business that is high finance, right? And you definitely have to understand that. And we have that expertise behind the scenes. Mm. But the real success comes from going out and have a genuine interest in the developer and the project. So I'll give you an example. Here in Florida, we have Frank has a 34-unit townhome deal. Um, developer was from New Jersey. Didn't really understand the regulations and the laws of the particular county in which he was operating, which is a red flag for most lenders. But Frank thought outside the box and said, I'm going to go figure this out for this developer. I'm going to go down to the municipality. I'm going to figure out how to plat this thing. I'm going to meet the surveyor on site. I'm going to work with another lender to get him a bridge loan because the current lender is a jackass. I'm going to solve this problem. Frank's a problem. I mean, I'm not just plugging him because yeah. I'm, I'm proud of it, right? And I think it's a, a great case study of what we do really well mm. that most lenders behind a desk that are, you know, right out of college just dialing for dollars don't do but a guy who's been in the industry who understands what it looks like to, to solve problems for investors is going to do. And that's where you build a long-term relationship, right? It's like if you can solve a problem for somebody or, or you know, just go beyond the underwrite the deal and, and give them the loan and show that you actually care about the business, I think that's what sets you up for long-term success. So, like, does it take away time for me maybe working a few other deals, things that are right down the fairway for us? Yeah, absolutely. But if I, you know, these are guys doing big projects and I think they have a bright future. So, you know, it's it's kind of like a give and a take. Is it worth, you know, the opportunity cost of me pursuing something like that? But again, those are things that go undocumented that everyone on our team does extremely well. Right. You know, like we will get in the weeds on behalf of our borrowers so that they don't have to deal with the headaches. And I think when you have someone driving the, the process of, of financing your deal and going beyond just writing the loan, um, understanding the project and, and, you know, what hurdles you may face and, and making sure that you're aware of everything. Those are the intangibles that, you know, you don't see documented in data points. Right. right? And, and I think that's important to know, right? Like we gen, I, you know, if I put someone in a bad loan and I've, you know, screw their business somehow, they're, why would they do good business with me? No. The and they're going to tell you know? all their friends to not use you right. as well. And so. that's, what's tricky about this space, dude. Like you could burn a bridge real fast. You promise something and you don't execute. Well, especially in a tricky market like now, right? That's what makes it super tough. You, like, have, to, you have to double cross your T's, dot your I's, make sure everything's yeah lined up. So the market took a huge shit yesterday and we have a lot of longstanding relationships who do millions and millions of dollars of business with us. And we had to make a lot of tough phone calls yesterday. Well, what we, thought would be tough right so you know ryan's sitting at the table and he goes you're gonna fucking hate me and i'm like why and he sends this email and it's like all of these loans we need to change the rates right mm. so like you know some guys are looking at a point 
Right. And I'll let you dive into like, yeah, you know, yeah, how yeah. and why that happened. But, you know, we started making phone calls to our clients and it, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as, you know, because we, you've built that relationship, yeah, because they, they trust know who us. you are. Yeah. They know you're not just trying to pull one on them. They, it's a legitimate, Hey, look, the market took a shit. This is what we have. And to if do. you can educate them on why, you know, and, 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 um, they're reasonable people. Like they'll understand the economics behind why, you know, we had to do what we did. Right. And can we take it back to the beginning? Cause what I, what I would love to understand, and I know it's a long story. It would probably take longer than this podcast. You could probably write a book about it. Right. But you to fall asleep. Yeah. No, we, no, I don't think so. No, I'm interested in this shit yeah. because this is a side of real estate. I know nothing about. Like I drove around with my mom as a little kid when she was a realtor. I flipped some houses. Now I own some commercial buildings. The one, you know, the, you've seen our beautiful office on Westland. And that, that's my expertise, man. And then as a broker. But how do you go from, you know, you, you have hundreds of millions of dollars out there. You're working with a, a ton of investors and developers around the country. You found Frank, who's been an incredible asset to your Florida team, and probably you personally in general, right? Helping out with everything. But was it just you in the beginning with like a couple million bucks and then and then you just lent out money and grew it from there? Like how does it go yeah. from you to now this incredible business you have? Yeah, great, great question. Um, it's kind of fun. So I'll, I'll back you up to the origin. So we've been buying and developing outside of what we were doing on the sales side. We took every dollar. I took every dollar and put it into real estate. So I bought my first house right out of college, 341 Dickinson Street, Dickinson Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I house hacked before house hack was like the thing to do, sure. not knowing that I was doing a house hack. But I was like, oh, I'm just going to live with my bros. We're going to, you know, I'm going to buy the house. We're going to pay me rent. So we did a lot of that. And we kept doing it every year, every year, every year. We then slowly got into building and developing houses in Philadelphia. And at that point, you could buy land for, you know, ten to $15,000, which is now like a bananas. 150 <laughs> bananas to man. 200 grand. And I met a really successful developer, Israeli guy, who went to NYU and swept floors to get through NYU as a job and then came to Philadelphia and saw an opportunity to buy a bunch of stuff around Temple University. Hey, banging the table. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Frank. That's my, that's my ADD. <laughs> so it was, it was Doran DeVere, the two guys, and they really showed me the direction. And they had a bunch of guys tracking down properties, and they couldn't buy it all. And so my mom and I started buying properties from them. And they would give us enough meat, and they taught us the business. They were mm. like, okay, look, we're going to make our fee. This guy must have taken a liking to you. It was awesome. So he was your mentor. Mentor. Yeah. And then he introduced me to another guy. I went to Penn, Jeff Tubbs who then was a big developer and he was part of like the urban land development of Philadelphia. And the two and this of, is like after the crash, 2009, it's just 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. That's kind of when we were all a group. What a time to get in. It was, it no was shit. killer. <laughs> yeah. And so we built and bought a ton of houses. Now we had no money. So we sold them all in hindsight. We were complete idiots, right? Mm. Like if we held those real, if we held that real estate today, the equity would be insane. It'd be insane. It'd be insane. But I think the, the, and we'll get to it, but there's another really important lesson that I see developers make all the time. We, built houses and then went to step up to to aggregate a bunch of brts which are the equivalent of plats yeah. in florida mm -hmm. and built a 44 unit complex and we got absolutely fucking smoked we didn't know how to do it it was cast in copper we didn't know the zoning we didn't know how to get through the zba we thought we did and we thought we were smart and, and we ended up losing money for investors and it took nine other deals to get them back their money and make them whole now, they're investors in peers today because we did what we said we were going to do, which is another really important component, especially with the market we're in. We could talk yeah. about that. So anyway, so we're buying real estate. That's how we get into it. I meet CT through a mutual friend. 
Chris Terrio is uh, one of his partners. Mm. Yeah, two founders. Absolute stud. Anyway, young guy Frank. I like young, smart, intelligent go getters. Right. So instantaneously, an absolute savage. I do an investment with him as an LP investor. At that point, Chris was working for the Donatucci family office, which is a household name in Philadelphia. It's also his cousin. Um, and they had built and bought a ton of real estate. So Chris was the development arm for him. He was actually on site doing the work, managing the subs, doing the acquisitions, and doing the finance. So we got to, over that course of the year, we did that deal together. We became really good friends. And we looked at each other, and we were borrowing money from Hard Money Bankers, which is Ian Walsh. We were borrowing money from Spring Garden Lending, which is an ex-bank group in Philadelphia. And then Bob Elfont from Elfont was a hick. And what was the lending market like in those years? Was it 10%, 8%? Like, where was everything at? Yeah, it was like 12, 12%, two points, right? So true hard so money. True hard, true, true hard money. So similar to today, no? Well, Correct. Right? Correct. Well, yeah. Yes. True hard money is probably above 12 yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I think the institutional money feels like hard money today. Yeah. Although there is some like what I'll call you know even hairier deals where you do no appraisals, more like right. the Ryan McGinnis right. type stuff where you may just go no appraisal. I like the asset. Right. Right. And he and he was a guest on your show, and he's mm-hmm. a great good friend of Frank's, and we have a great relationship with him. But so there's true hard money, but we were borrowing expensive money, and not only that, the experience sucked. They're a bunch of suit and tie guys, right? And mm. we were like, ah, uh, and it was we were jumping through hoops, and it wasn't easy, and we were taking so much time to originate a loan. We're like, we can do this better. Now we were naive, and we could talk about why we were naive and, and how should. we could do better. Yeah, you should, because um, those are all learning lessons that like shaped what the business is. That's life, though, right? Like massive L's make room for massive improvement. Right? So true. Yeah. If you're able to reflect on them and and take away value from it, right? One hundred percent. So. Anyway, sorry. No, you're, no, you're good. Yeah, yeah. You're good. yeah. So, so 100%. So, so Chris and I get together, and then I go to Justin Schrock. So Justin's a an, an ex Wall Street guy, E and Y guy. He's done some big deals in his life, mostly in oil and gas, but he's just an absolute savage. He had the first line from Vegas, live line from Vegas to Penn State. So he's just like he's a, <laughs> he's a bro, and he's one of the smartest yeah. dudes I've ever been around. And I'm like Schrock, come run this fund, like. Chris and I got the relationships. We know everybody in Philadelphia. We can do this. And we these guys are a bunch of turds. Like, we can smoke. And this is what we're saying in our heads. Right. We're thinking we're slick. And you're how old at this time? I'm 28. 20. Oh my God. Dude, that's wild. Oh, my huh? God. Yeah. I'm, that's I'm, Frankie, I'm, Frankie, I'm Frankie's age. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, so, we're, so we're hammering it. And uh, Justin's like, no, nah, I can't do that, man. Like, I'm going to start a – I'm out of Wall Street, but I'm going to go start a fast casual Greek restaurant. I want to cook food. Yeah. Like, <laughs> All right, dude. Whatever, luck, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, bro. He's like, but you should meet my partner, Brian. We call him Zig. Zig Infuse. And uh, he's like, he just came out of the mortgage industry. He was a bond trader at ResCap. And then he was a controller at Aquin. He's a savage. I think you guys would like him. Yeah. So Chris and I, with you know, go meet him at Tila's on 18th and Fairmount. And Zig's the polar opposite of Chris and I. We're total bros. And, and Brian's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You he's know? a finance guy. Yeah. You know? He's a fucking wizard. And so. You know, we're there, and he's like, do you guys even know what loan-to-value, loan-to-cost is? And Chris and I were like, I think so. <laughs> he's like, are you sure you know how to calculate that? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure, but I don't know. So anyway, that was the marriage. He left uh, Tila's. He was like, I'm sure. He calls us the next day, and he's like, all right, I'm in. And we're like, great. So we get a spot. It's a cubicle. It's not bigger than this room, and we put Brian in there. And Brian couldn't sell his way out of a paper bag, dude. Like, you couldn't give him a sales job if he tried and we were like, all right, we'll go originate paper. Both Chris and I, he's working for Donatucci. I'm still doing oil and gas. We put Zig in a cubicle, and we start throwing him leads. And the feedback's like, dude, this guy's a total nerd. He's trying to give me a note, like, note and like, I, don't, I don't know if I can work with him. So we get Irfan Raza, who's like a quintessential wholesaler in Philadelphia to do our first deal. And he blasted on social media. And then it just started to snowball, man. 
And so, so deal we, by deal. I mean, deal you know, by deal. We was walked there the a break early on, like a big. That was the break. That so was Irfan's like runs the real estate group in Philadelphia. A bunch of young guys, kind of what like you guys got going on. And breaking into that circle was paramount for us to mm. kind of take the next step. So year one, we do eight point eight million with two million dollars of cash. Right, we were trading loans with Itty Bitty, the Cohen Company, which is a bunch of wealthy developers from Philadelphia on the street that do SPACs and like do some creative finance. And we were selling loans to them. We were doing nothing. The next year, we did thirty-three million. And Chris and I joined full time. And like mid twenty nineteen, he left Donatucci. I wrapped up ten x, and we joined Brian. So now there's the three amigos in in room, and we started walking the streets. We yeah. started walking the streets and flying, knocking on doors, talking to developers. We did it in Pittsburgh and we did it in Philadelphia. Can we pause and talk yeah. about the business of selling loans? So you mentioned Ryan McGinnis. He was on the show yesterday. He's not in the business of doing that. Everything he does is in-house. On the balance sheet. On the balance sheet, as yep. they say. You guys sell loans out the back end. So was that, that sounds like it was always in the business plan. Right? No, no. We were no. going to be a balance sheet lender. When I started this, I'm like, we're going to clip coupons. The balance sheet's where we're at. We're in full control. Like more like a Ryan McGinnis of what he's doing. He actually, Ryan actually sells his individual notes to inv individual investors. He doesn't pull the capital together. So Ryan was, just so I understand, <laughs> right? Like Ryan was explaining yesterday, individual investors invest in individual pieces of property. Mm -hmm. You guys are different in that there's almost like a, a general fund. Just so, so I understand. What, like when we call Ryan, right, I'll give you an example. We have a, a deal that we're, we're working with their group and we call them and we pitch them the deal and then they'll go and they have a handful of guys that trust them, you know, to lend their capital and they'll run the deal by that one guy who they think fit the deal fits their box. So mm. it's a very quick turnaround. It's like, hey, Bobby, this is the deal. This is the equity in the deal. This is what we're looking for, yada, yada. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, that sounds good. And then they call you right back. They're like, hey, we're good to go on this. That's how quickly they move, right? Mm -hmm. So they have a direct connection with their investors. They call. It's a deal-by-deal -deal basis. We're a bit different. And then, you know, Ryan can explain okay. the, the, the so major it, differences. But initially, you wanted to start iFund Cities in that manner. Yeah, so it was iFund Philly. IFP was the original name okay. of it, given yeah. given tribute to to Philadelphia, and then we went to Pittsburgh, and they're like, "Dude, we we, we fucking hate Philadelphia." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to like, change the name, bro. You're <laughs> fucking out, buddy. Yeah. And so we moved to iPhone Cities, which is a little bit more generic. But to to that point, so we pull capital. We have a real fund structure, and and one of the things we don't do well at IFC is raise raise capital. Right? We had no ability to raise capital. We went to all these family offices when we started. And they were like, great, we love the idea. Come work for us. And we were like, great, go fuck yourself. Mm, um, because we're going to do it ourselves, right? We're, right. we're, we're not going to take out. all our talent and give everything. Like We're going to do it ourselves. And so that's exactly what we did. We took a little bit of money. We got a handful of guys that believed in us. And then we started trading notes. And the only reason we traded notes was to start making money so we could build a balance sheet. So now we're in a unique position where we have a balance sheet, a real balance sheet, where we don't have to call investors and go, yes. We can make the sole decision on our own to put it on the balance sheet if we want to. And then is the risk making sure you can sell that note on the back end? The risk of what? Like the risk like of not having it on the balance sheet. When you're holding when you hold deals with your own cash, that that then prohibits you from taking that cash and, and doing other doing deals. Other, so selling the notes replenishes your cash, right? So like you you lend off your balance sheet and then you have a buyer of the note on the secondary market, ready, prepared to buy it, you know, before we even fund it. So without literally being like a billionaire yourself, 
the way to scale is to sell notes on the back end, right? Because then you can have the available cash to do more loans, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but it's super complicated to that, right? There's there's way more that I learned, right, from Brian, who's really got the expertise in this. So I had a lot of relationships up there, as did he, but I didn't understand the complexity of that. So yes, to And Frank's I don't point, either, and I won't today, but like just so I have you, a basic if level. If you let him run a little bit, you'll definitely get a good understanding as to how it works. Like I, I've broken it down on the pod before as far as liquidity and how it trickles down, but yep. I think what you could do is get in between that and how what the relationships truly are between private equity hedge funds. Well, what's really interesting to me is you had to kind of learn as you went. I mean, you didn't know this space at all, and it yeah. sounds like your partner, Brian, knew a lot more, right? Yeah, he understood the secondary capital markets. I mean, that was his 17-year career was capital markets. So he had a good general idea, but that doesn't do it for you because they don't even buy your loans unless your loan docs are perfect. You have X amount of liquidity on your balance sheet. You have X amount of kind of data that you need. There's a bunch of data management behind this business that's absolutely mm. brutal. Um, and every institutional investor has a different format in which they digest this data. And it's really, really challenging to build tech. And there's no tech around this. So we can talk about that. It's a whole other venture that some some entrepreneur should crack because there's mm. a great That's what I thought before you even said it. It's like there's nobody who's in that space making that easier. So as an example, just to you know yeah. segue, he said diff we have different institutional partners, right, who all read data a different way. And so we bring in all this data into our CRM. But then when you go to trade the notes to these different groups, right, they have because they have a different way of digesting the data, we need to spit the data out in 10 different ways. Mm. And when you're managing, what is it, 1,200 data points per deal? It's a lot. Yeah, you know, per deal, right? Every single, that's 1,200 data points, you know, so to regurgitate that out of a system, they built the technology, right? So like they built the CRM from the ground up because it needs to be tailored to the business. And like the, the tailored to our institutional partners in the way that they digest data. Mm. So like you can't just go and pull an out of the box Salesforce or like, you know, one of these CRMs where you just buy, like there is so much integration involved with, with the data that we're bringing in and you have to be on point with it. Otherwise you just log jam the entire process of closing a loan, right? So by the time that you, me as the loan officer sees the deal, puts the information in the CRM, if I do that incorrectly, you know, four days before closing, five days before closing, when it gets to our final underwriters, you know, and they don't have everything that they need, it becomes this like, um, you know, they're coming back to me for information. It gets all, it, it all right. gets lost in translation. So it's just so important from the jump as a deal, you know, comes to fruition that you, from the beginning, you are, you have all the information, you're adding it into the CRM correctly so that we can adequately move the, the notes, you know. And those 1200 data points would include anything from purchase price, credit score, Oh. after repair value, demographics of the area, All your points on appraisal, all your points on title, you know, all the points like on the driver's license. Verification of like, like their Like anyone could pick up the package and know exactly what the deal is, the, the, everything about you send the them entire a tape. asset. It's like a, you know, it's like a long string of data pertaining to this one particular asset you said. So then our underwriters, our note traders sit there, put these tapes together, and then they, you know, shop it to our institutional partners. Do you guys have an appetite for this? Do you want this loan? La, 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 la. But, so it's, you, but it's important because we hold the risk, right? So, like, there's a there's a misunderstanding that people don't, like, selling notes is bad. I want to go to a guy that holds everything on the balance sheet. You, you can't support a real investor that way. A guy that builds right. 150, 200 houses can't go borrow money from a hard money lender with a small fund. One, because that's too much exposure to mm. a single borrower in a single asset class. So you ha it's a function of just replenishing your cash. The challenge is most people can't manage the data and the servicing and the asset management, the draw process, right? So they rely, most lenders don't have any money. 
And so they're they're really brokers masquerading as lenders. Right. And so they're claiming, and they may be able to sell notes, and there's a bunch of guys in between the private equity and the retail market called aggregators. And those aggregators tend to work with the brokers. Mm. And that's where you can kind of throw shit at the wall, and they'll clean the shit up for you, and then they'll trade the note to Wall Street. And so that's kind of the intermediary for, for big brokers. And that, that's a great place to be, and there's yeah. a lot of value for borrowers there. So first year, $8 million, second year up in the 30s. Did that problem come up very quickly? Like, damn, we need to keep track of the data and, and, and consolidate it to sell out. Yeah, what, at what point were you guys like, damn, we need to get organized and fast? So I think for Chris and I, we were totally naive. For Brian, in his mind, he had it architected and knew exactly what we needed to do the whole time. Got it. We, we just didn't have the money right. or the volume. So the key to getting up to the next level, we're, we're at the very top of this thing. Like The only other place for us to go is is directly to an insurance company, which we're working on. And that's where those systems become really, really, really important. Um, and most of the big lenders are owned by REITs or private equity today. We're like the last of this mid-tier, hyper-competitive, can compete on price, better product, better customer service, better draw experience, better sales reps, better fucking everything, to be quite honest, than the institutions because you lose that personal touch mm -hmm. when you get to that billion plus. And we're kind of right under there. And I don't know that we're getting any bigger. Because we have enough really good borrowers and enough really good talent. And we want them to be able to talk to the ownership and our leadership in all of our markets. Well, anyone that's even bought a home would understand that, right? Like, good luck dealing with Bank of America. You're going yeah. to you're gonna talk to 10 different people. They're all going to ask the same question. No one's going to know what's going on. I've dealt with that. Honestly, a lot of my success is driven by the availability and accessibility I have to our leadership, right? So, like, I can pick up, I can pick up the phone and call Ryan and say, hey, I need you here tomorrow. Right. And he's here tomorrow. You know, so... Where that helps me is like I can, you know, when I need to target bigger guys, bigger groups doing bigger deals, the ability for me to call them and say, hey, the guy who's writing the check, you know, I could have him in town tomorrow and, and you know, we can all talk and hash this out and decide and figure out and strategize how we can help grow your business. The guy who writes the checks, right? Like yeah. he'll be here the next day. And so that's that's a big advantage that's that we gotta have. That's got to be a rarity in this business, right? I'd imagine. When you get to that, when you get to that next level, right, where, where you're like the Civics, the Rocks, the Renovos, the Kiavis, these are just you know monstrosities, right? These guys, you can't get to the owners of these things most right. of the time, right? They're sitting in an ivory tower in Chicago or New York or LA, and and that's never our vision of what we wanted to be. We'd, we'd like to compete with them, and we do. We compete really, really well in that space, but we're going to stay in that $700 million range, and we're going to look at different product sets mm. and different ways to solve investor problems. We're going to grow out that balance sheet to do more and more land, to, mm. do, do, to be more opportunistic. So you, you, it almost sounds like you would rather expand your services to your borrowers you already have rather than scale up and, and turn this into something else. Yeah, we'd rather have five, six, seven markets that we have great territory managers, and they have their own microcosms of teams mm. or, or mini franchises like Frank's building down here where he's, he's controlling in the market and we're just procurement behind the scenes helping him bring new product to market that solves investor problems listening to the market yeah. taking feedback yeah. and then going and finding the money to put that to work for them that that's what we really want to do and what we do really well well, you were house hacking before it was a real thing. Like you're a real estate guy through and through. He also built 400 homes. He's well, a developer no, background. But my point is, I think that those guys in the ivory towers in the suits lose touch of what 
real estate, like real estate guys right. have fun with it. I mean, yeah, yeah. you Hell almost yeah. seem like the type of guy that would do this for free, flying around the country, meet with people, right? Uh, dude, I joke all the time. I'm like, you know, he gives me a run for my money, you know, and I'm a young guy. <laughs> and that's like, hard to do. Dude, Frank, Frankie and I do these road shows that are just brutal. It's terrible. I didn't shower for three days one time, and I don't want to tell you Still why. Still smell good. Yeah, it's like, it's just... <laughs> You know, so he, he comes in for three days and it's just like bang, 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 nonstop for three days. By the time I'm done, I'm like sleeping for three days. Look at him. He's got so much anxiety. Oh, I wonder if there's stop. a, <laughs> would, would there be a way to scale your business and, and operate the way you operate at those higher numbers, those, those competitors like you're talking about? Or do you almost have to get in the space of like suit, meet with the right people, kind of, kind of run the business that way? Yeah. So we, we do, I'm, I'm, um. We do meet a lot with Wall Street, and yeah. we do have really good relationships, and we do talk to talk and walk the walk and go up there, right? Like because that's mean, a necessary part of what it's a necessary yeah, right. evil, and yeah. and those guys are smart, right? They're just not in touch with what the real estate community is because they have mm. mandates to put money to work from insurance companies, and they've raised money around. So fix and flip is a mature asset class at this particular point, right? Started in two thousand and five. This is super interesting. Are you going to talk about how you decided to sort of jump past that and go into this? Yeah, yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah, so so that's a super super mature freaking asset class. These guys have sold the insurance companies, the endowments, the pension funds on this asset class, light, low risk, light renovation ratios. Anybody can do it. Chip and Joanna flip, flip the house thing. Right. So everybody's in that space and it's a knife fight and the borrowers are taught at building or fortune builders or bigger pockets. They're rate, 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 you know, right. This is all we're going to ask. Rate, 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 rate. And so the, you know, the institutions aren't stupid, right? They know that. So they're going to put the, and they have the lowest cost of capital. So they're just going to cut the rate to the very bottom. They're going to hire a 30 year old individual to answer the phone and, and they're going to do loans. Right. And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So we saw that and we were like, why would we compete in that knife fight? Like that's not what we do. And we had the development and construction background. Um, and so we went right into new construction, which was like brutal because nobody wanted to lend into it. And the perception on the street is 2008, nine to collapse. Mm. Everybody left houses. I'm a bank. I'm fire selling houses. I can't complete them. So your investors, the people you're selling your notes to are like, bro, we don't want a part of this. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. So we, we fought tooth and nail for two years to figure out how to like get somebody to believe in that thesis and took a shitload of risk with our own capital to get that thesis done, to have enough credibility to go back to these guys and go, look, dude, you're wrong. And what they don't understand is when you rip walls out of an existing house, you have more risk than if I'm going ground up in a house. Mm. Like there's a lot more uncertainty because I can't see behind the walls. Right. Right. And so I know what I'm building when I'm pouring a slab or my footings and I'm going vertical. And we, we kept telling the story over and over and over again. Fast forward today, four years, we've managed a billion in construction. Amazing. Right. And, and we do the draw process extremely well on that asset management side of it. So we, we haven't had an institution lose money. Like we have some of the biggest institutions coming to us going, you guys have the best performance of all the loan buyers. Tribute to Brian and how he manages credit. And tribute to our guys and how they pick their borrowers and so how it's that process. If someone said, like, okay, iPhone cities, you guys are lenders, what do you specialize in? New, new construction, construction would be it. Spec new construction, build the rent, townhome communities, right? And some luxury housing in core markets that make sense, like in Anna Maria. I believe you're, Frank, you've done some single family luxury homes, stuff like that That's here. A- can yeah. you walk through what that process looks like? What does a borrower have to put down, the draw schedule, that whole thing? Yeah, Frank should hit that. Yeah, well, I think before I before you pass it to me, what's interesting is you know you, we you know would look at these projects and prior to understanding the market, um, 
and getting with Ryan and, and having him explain the economics behind the scene, right? Like to me, I'm like, oh, these are fantastic deals, right? They're they're luxury, they're new construction, the builders are credible, you know. But from an uh, an institutional level, it's a great point. Yeah, from from an institutional level, they just look at it like, um, you know, it's just a ton of risk. It's a single family home with a five million dollar valuation. If mm. anything were to happen, that's a massive loss, right? So like the the difficulty that we were facing is, do we need to? Are we good? No, you're good. Keep no, going, okay. bro. Yeah, so. The difficulty that we were facing is getting getting our institutional partners comfortable with this asset class. And we've done a lot of work behind the scenes. We actually made, you know, huge breakthroughs last night. Hell I don't yeah. know how much Hell of that yeah. I should disclose. But, like, um, our job as the boots on the ground is to go to the institutional partners and go, this – like, what, what Ryan just said is, like, this is why this makes sense. There's a whole story mm. behind just the asset. It's who's the builder? What's the ecosystem? What's the – like, the network of guys behind what's going on in a particular market. You know, like, I'm sure you and I could sit here and tell you – list off 20 different guys that we know are really doing shit here in Tampa, right? And so it's finding – it's, first of all, identifying that group, understanding the story, how everyone is tied together – what role they play in the market, in the ecosystem, and then taking that information and going to the institutions and going, hey, these are the laws and regulations down there. This is why this asset class is protected, safe investment, et cetera, to get them comfortable. So what we're doing you know, in the luxury market, particularly here in Florida, um, is we're just helping them streamline. It's particularly south, like Sarasota, Anna Maria, Bradenton Beach, Holmes, Holmes Beach. It's a big network of wealth, older, wealthy guys you know, and and it's private money, mm-hmm. right? And so private money is different than the way that we operate. It's a guy with a really big bank account who's like, hey, here's, you know, here's cash. The problem is when you're building these projects, luxury projects, at scale with a very high velocity, right, that private money just doesn't support that type of growth. So we mm-hmm. had identified that, and our thought process was, okay, instead of coming in and wiping out the private money, how can we partner with the private money to make this all make sense for everybody. And so that's what we do really well is we get into a market, we look at where the gaps are, and instead of, you know, saying, hey, this is my sandbox and I'm going to come take it over, it's how can I work with what's already here, you know, and just fit in to help grow everybody's business, right? So we married private capital down south with our, you know, I call it institutional money really well and and created a, a very strong partnership with a lot of builders, you know, down that way. So just so I understand the the private money is investing with you guys. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example, right? So where the private money comes in is they have more discretion with their capital. We don't fund land, right? So the land's not ready to build on. It's not very appealing to our investors. It Mm. elongates the timeline, you know, you got to get permits, etc. There's there's not a lot of um, certainty, you know, around funding a land purchase. So what private money can do is come in, provide you the capital you need to secure the land, right? Get your permits, all your soft costs, etc. Get the project off the ground and then we're able to come in and and take these guys out of the loan so they could go recycle their capital and go, you know, do another loan and then we come in mid construction, right? Give them a whole new term, right? Refresh their term, get capital or or money spent to date out of the project that they can then use as working capital to finish the project and then continue to, to move this thing along. It's almost like you're adding a product the way I understand it, right? Like if I came to you and I wanted to build a luxury single family home and I wanted to buy the land to do it, you guys would say, well, well we don't do that specifically, but we have partners in the area that have private money that would help you acquire the land. It's all, yeah, it's, it's a deal by deal thing. Typically, yes, that is, you know, it, 
we could stretch for different borrowers and, you know, we have to hear their story, et cetera. But yes, typically what we do is we say, hey, get the land shovel ready. And then what the cost that you mm-hmm. had incurred up to this point will reimburse you for when you're ready to go vertical. Because that's how we get our institutional partners to stomach, you know, that asset class. But anyway, we learned. Can I talk? Yeah. Do you think it's okay to talk the legislation and what we learned yesterday? Fuck yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So we learned we, one of our biggest. So, hesitations. So I would frame yeah. it on the short term. Yeah. No, you go. Frame, please, frame please. it on the short term um, rental market. So, so short term rentals are, are really tough, and they're getting a lot of heat. I'm going to pick it back to right now to finish that story. Yeah. But but in general, the institutions just hate that asset class, and and as an investor, I hate that asset class. They hate it because they're it's it's because they don't under. Because they don't understand it. And we didn't truly fully understand it in Florida until yesterday where we sat with some big attorneys and a big builder and a big developer who helped us understand all the components that go to the legislator and legislation, excuse me, in Florida that allow us and protect us and protect the borrower, right? Because the biggest issue is you've seen around the country, New York's the latest case, right? That they just cut Airbnbs, Charleston's done it. Mm. Lots of places have done it because you're driving housing values way too high off of projected rents on short-term rentals. So it's right. unpredictable, right? One of the things is like you can't you can't take into consideration the short-term rental rates because that market is changing every day, right? Like the appetite for vacationing as a whole is, uh, you know, it's it's up and it's down. But what's interesting about Florida is tourism is one of the major, major economic drivers here, yep. right? The coastlines are where people like everywhere from around the world come to vacation. And there's and, a lot of them here surrounding the entire state. Right. And so we didn't really understand, and this is, you know, this is what's super interesting. It's impossible to know everything about every market, every right. rule set, you know, it's impossible. So being able to speak to different guys in different pe- like different niches of the real estate market really helped us, you know, piece everything mm. together. So now we have this story and this is what was super interesting. We learned yesterday that there are, you know, a, a, there are pieces of legislature that protect the short-term rental business. It's a non, you know, no income tax here, right? So one of the biggest drivers is the tourism tax, you know? So if you, if, 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 you turn that off in Florida, I mean, that's a massive hit to the state economy. And so we just figured out that that, that um, you know, builders, developers are protected by a piece of legislature called the Burt Harris Law, something yeah. around that nature, um, that basically grandfathers in your ability to run short-term rentals. Now, why that is important is because prior to us understanding that, it was the same as every other market. We could turn this faucet off tomorrow and then, you know, the unpredictability that is STRs, you know, the nightmare comes to fruition and, you know, all these loans that you funded based off short-term rental rates, mm. you know, go in the shitter. But we learned that that's not really, uh, you know, that's not a fear here, right? Because there's legislature that protects the, the owners, builders, developers, you know. So now we can take that information, bring the legislature, bring the story in addition to, you know, us understanding the ecosystem of the builders down there where they get their capital. It's a whole... You guys have to work very hard on both ends. You have to work very hard on the construction site, building a relationship with the borrower, but then also information like that to take to your investors. Yeah, and that's him, right? So he's the front line with you know all the <laughs> Wall Street guys, like, right? Yeah, and he goes and tells the story. Right? That's that's his job, you know. Aside from visiting all of his LOs and all these different markets and, and being boots on the ground, so that so bit of information makes this market a lot more attractive for short term. Hundred percent. And the state legislator does allocate some control to the local municipalities in those areas, but they can't supersede what the state legislation does. So they, even though you know, Anna Maria start, we learned yesterday, Anna Maria was 6,000 permanent residents now down to 850 permanent residents. Yeah. And the rest is short term rent is rentals Holy is rental shit. product. Right. So it's become a rental, uh, you know, ecosystem and Anna Maria municipality can't 
change that. They could change some occupancy of really? the houses, but they can't go to the state legislator and go, we're changing this. We don't want short-term rentals, which you don't have in many geographies. What's the name of the law again, Frank? Bert Harris. Can you pull that up? That's fascinating because I would imagine residents of Anna Maria would be pissed, of super, course. Super pissed. Yeah. And lobby their commission and their local municipality and lobby the state and say, dude, we need this law changed. But it sounds like they can't do it at all. It's, it's already been established. So is there this is a, a new law? No, this, a, this is a 13-year-old law. Thir- thir- I think it was 11, 11, 13, 11, yeah. 11, 13-year-old law. And this was a component of it. There was also another, and, and we'll get it for you so we can cite it in the podcast, but there's right. another component to this. Um, but this is around kind of occupancy laws in, in, in Florida. So we knew nothing about this, right? And so we were ready to shut the faucet off because we're like, we have too much risk, too much exposure. Nobody's buying these notes. We're holding everything on our balance sheet, and we have very good relationships with our builders. But it was getting to a point where it was like, guys, we're tapped, you know, we're tapped. And then we uncover all this information, the story changes. And that's what's, you know, crazy about this business, the roller coaster ride, because you're up one day, you're down the next. I'm sure you experience the same on your side of the industry, G. But so Bert um, J. Harris Jr., Private Property Rights Protection Act in 1995. It was amended in 2008 and 2011, like you guys said, 13 or so years ago. Um, provides a specific process for landowners to seek relief when their property is unfairly affected by government action. Under the act, a claim exists if a governmental entity inordinately burdens an existing use of real property or a vested right to real property. So like you just said, if the local municipality tries to change the law, someone could cite this and ideally be protected. Very interesting. So actually, our big developers, Frank's big customers, they, they fought this. They've tested this. They've went to the bat and won. One of them won a million dollars from one of the cities. It wasn't Anna Maria, right? But they won a million dollars in the lawsuit as it relates to them picking on them for building short-term rentals up and down the East Coast. Short-term rental, coast. rentals really is only one component. This could be applied to any yes. use a local municipality yes. would try to impose on a property. Owner. Yes. Correct. So, wow. So, man. I know. You guys finding out information like this in specific local markets is, I feel like, key to opening Dude, up that's the difference. funding. That's the difference between doing $20 million worth of business to $200 million worth of business. If you can, if you can show the story and say, hey, guys, your money's protected here for these reasons, it, that's what opens And the case up. law and, and, and developers going to court, you know, as precedent, like there's, there's, I'm going to take a shot at our competitors. This is the difference between iPhone cities and the rest of the lending community. That's a national lender versus us, which is a really a mid Atlantic Southeastern lender, right? With guys in the market, understanding and learning every day, how to support developers. You're, that's a you, good point. You're not getting that yeah. from Renovo. You're not getting that well, from Kiavi. You're uh, not getting that from Lee. They're pencil pushers. A, a like guy from California, right? They would, they wouldn't even believe <laughs> something like this existed. This would be a pretty extreme law and certain. Been here States. for three years. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that either. There was controversy about. I know St. Pete was it, it Clearwater or St. Pete put a law in place that limited short term rentals. I'm sure this has come up a lot. I mean, you could wreck yeah, you know, somebody's property where, value. That's where I, I overnight. Yeah, overnight. overnight. So how is we have lenders? How do we put them in a loan that we know if we don't understand this stuff? How do you put them in a loan and go? Good luck. Now, how are yeah, you guys right. like, what, what, what does that, that? That's not lending. That's and not we're helping. we're doing a bad job, right? Because I, I always tell my clients, hey, it is my job to put you into a good loan, right? So if I think that this is going to end shitty for you, 
Like I- I'm telling you, and if you decide to move forward with it, like by all means, that's your decision to make. But it's my job to let you know these are my concerns from my side of the aisle. And is this just relationship? Yeah. <laughs> is this relationship building? Like you reaching out to a local attorney? Hey, I just want to learn more about this. This space. is Frank's special sauce, right, right. dude? Like it? Um, I think uh, we talked about this at the beginning, right? I think what what helps drive from a business development perspective, it is problem solving and building, uh, you know, an ecosystem around you. And then everyone f- n- understands that you're a guy who's going to get in between, in between the weeds, right? Like I'm, I go beyond being a lender as do all of our guys and we're problem solvers, right? You tell us where you want to go. And then we look at that and go, okay, this is where I can affect this. And this is where I can help move you guys forward. Right. And then we do everything in our power to do it. And because we're able to, because we choose to give more of our attention, you know, to certain people, like we have to be selective, you know, you, you have a certain bandwidth, you can't service everybody. And yeah. I think we've done a really good job from the leadership down to, you know, our boots on the ground LOs of identifying who our customers are and being able to quickly say no, mm. you know, is something that we stress a ton of importance on, right? It's yeah, like, 100%. know your customer. What was this shit you used to tell me when I, you're like, um, what was it? It was it was like fix and flip new construction one to four units when I got here. Like and so Zig's like, man, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a production line of this stuff. You know, fix and flip new construction one to four. That's all we do. You know, ten plus deals, seven hundred FICO, hundred K yeah. liquidity. That's all we do. So when I when I when I joined us, so he's fucking City, reciting this shit. Yeah. I'm like, man, we're brainwashed and we gotta let him loose. Yeah. So so I was like, <laughs> our job I'm, here is done. Yeah. It was like SpongeBob where he's like, fine dining and breathing, fine dining. I was like, fix and flip new construction one to four units, fix and flip new construction because you get so as a direct lender especially in this environment where banks are no longer lending. It's like you were getting looks at deals from every angle, from every type of borrower, and you could waste all your time sifting through the shit. So the quicker you learn to identify what your box is and focus in on that, the more successful your business is going to be because you could waste a shit ton of time here. We also do really big deals, right? Like big deals. Like we did 20, Frank did $24 million recap. Like that's a big deal. Hunter Holmes, $24 million, one shot, 15. Recap, what does that look like? Half, he's half built, has a shitty lender who, who changed. Getting out of a bad loan. Yeah. Right? Well, I, well, they changed the interest rate on Dutch interest. They went from non-Dutch. So they went from interest on drawn dollars to interest on total loan and went from 9% to 12%. The borrower was paying $304,000 a month in interest to the lender. And he was like, I can't build. And the lender wouldn't. And he would start to default a little bit. And the lender was like, well, I'm not going to give you money for the draws. So he's got 100 homes, 60%, 70% complete. And the lender's not looking at him going, how do I help you win? Which is what we... That's and the our, guy's a stud. That's our job. The yeah. guy built 400 homes. Legit. So he's a real... Not you know, necessarily the developer's fault. Sounds like the market so, caught up with him. Yeah, and we should talk about this. because okay. I, I think most lenders are, are scared to be real. So one of the things that the biggest risk an institutional lender has all of them. The ones that aren't owned or the ones that are owned by private equity and the ones like us that are independent that are larger is that the appetite for the money and the risk when it's risk off on the street, they change everything and they don't care, right? Because yes. their mandate is to run billions of dollars over all asset classes, right? And they're looking at every asset class going, what's my best risk adjusted return? Well, there's plenty of other risk adjusted. You can get corporate debt at nine and a half right now for, from a, from Apple, Right. And so why would I go do speculative real estate mm. around the country in a market where I'm uncertain in the interest rate environment they have? So so they may change their direction because they have a mandate and the stewardship. And they do. 
and they do. And so for the first time in six years, we had to actually retrade borrowers on pricing. We've never had to do that. Now, granted, we were a point and a half below the market on new construction and have been the whole year, and all of our competitors were backed up with the exception of one or two of them. We had to retrade. Our borrowers understood because we go the extra mile, and we were honest with them, and we explained to them that, yeah, we, we have to retrade you. It's out of our control. And we're taking losses on some of them, and some of them we're having to retrade, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, our big customers were taken care of, and we'll eat it. We'll eat the cost, and some of them we have to have a conversation and go, man, we priced you below the market. We made a mistake. We fucked up. We got retraded, but it's not your problem. It's our problem, and we're going to work to fix it, right? So we'll get other concessions. We'll do that, but we're getting the fucking loans done for it. But every other letter wants to bullshit you. I've never been retraded. We got retraded on $50 million fucking pipeline. So like, unless you have $50 million coming out of your ass, I don't know how you're closing these loans. We had to come back and figure it out, and we, you know, we did. But I think it's important to know that the market's moving and borrowers need to be aware. Mm. Yes, and so what their expectations were, sorry, Frank, but no, what their no. expectations were two months, this is a moving target that we are doing our absolute best as lenders yeah, that's to what manage. I to touch on. Right? We're doing our absolute best to manage, and it's a day by day. And what we've been able to do is mitigate that day by day and be consistent with them. And this is the first time we've retraded. And it sucks, man, because that's our fucking mission is yeah. to never do that. That's the worst thing a borrower wants. Because what you're checking in the lending game is, is really relatability. Do you understand my business? And are you reliable? Are you a reliable lender? When I have money hard on a big deal. Are you going to close my loan and close the loan at the terms you said, assuming, right. assuming the borrower says the right things? There's a lot of examples. Yeah. Of yeah. A lot of examples are borrowers not saying the right thing. And then which, but anyway, I, sorry, I'm getting passionate about it because I, no, no. I think it's important. I want to, and Frank, I know you wanted to say something. I don't no, know go, if Ryan, go, go. I, I, I just wanted to relate that. How, how does all this end up? Like, it sounds like. First of all, you guys are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place where you're forced to do something you don't want to do. Is that because of the Fed rate? They set that high rate. <laughs> that affects your guys, which affects you, which affects the borrower, kind of trickles down like that. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's so homes are, and we should talk about this because this is actually more on your side of the business, but what they're seeing at a national level are homes are starting to sit longer. The interest rate environment's prohibitive for new home buyers, mm -hmm. right? So that that's all happening. Um, people are back to work. So New York, you know, you can't just go disappear to Florida anymore and hang out and go once a week, right? Like that doesn't work anymore. These guys want everybody back because they're doing layoffs. Yeah, you, you know, student debt that came back online in October. Lots of changes in the market, right? A lot of uncertainty around yeah. around the political system. A lot of wars. Internationally, oh yeah. So a lot of so they look at all that, and Wall Street hates more than anything uncertainty. Right. And on top of you're seeing delinquencies over under six eighty. So six eighty credit score and above, we're seeing guys stay true to what they say. Below, they're seeing massive spikes. So in has that ticker kind of moved up on a credit score? Now you're really paying attention to the actual borrower's creditworthiness. Correct and liquidity. Nobody. This has all been debt fueled for the last decade. Nobody has any money. It's all been fueled by the institutions providing debt to guys like us, and then debt on the other side to either acquire through i buyers. Mm. Or somebody getting really cheap paper to afford a home that they probably couldn't afford. That that piece about the borrower, right? Their credit score. That is something that I'm hearing now is a little bit different than before. For the last year and a half, two years, it was always like, oh, asset-based lender. We don't care about your credit score. We don't care. We just want to see the property you're buying. Has that shifted? It sounds like it has. At the institutional level, credit's always... That's the difference between a, a hard money lender and an institutional lender. The hard money lender is going to be 100% asset-based. 
we're going to really look at three things. Sponsors, ability to execute. So what's their track record? What's their credit profile? Do they pay their bills mm-hmm. for commitment? Sorry, liquidity. Can you know? Do they have the cash to, to get through this project? And then does the asset make them money? Mm. So those are the four kind of critical components. I would tell you liquidity and credit have become higher and higher on the standard and not just the asset anymore mm. because of what they're seeing on, a, on an aggregate level at the institutions that have billions and billions of dollars. If you start bleeding, right, if you're building high volume and you start bleeding and you have to start fire selling your assets or, you know, you just need to stop the bleeding, you need, there needs to to be enough cash right um you know just to know that you can plug a hole right and that's really like and, one and you thing, guys are paying attention to that more now than ever the institutions are and so yeah. that affects us Got right it. it affects us in the form of leverage and rate and the ability to place paper and the exposure that they want to give a borrower and, and you also have a decade full of like and i'm you know I'm old, so I'm going to take a shot here. Like, guys flexing on fucking Instagram, right, that don't actually have anything or live in debt-fueled. Like, there's a handful of real developers in every market, and there's a handful of people flexing really hard. And and the guys that are real developers are going to continue to thrive in this market and see opportunities, and that's where lenders right. are going to step up. And, the, and maybe the folks that were flexing are going to struggle. Mm. I mean, you probably see on your side too, right? It's like how many agents are going to get pushed out of this market because it's so goddamn competitive? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. You know, like we always talk about this every time I'm on the pod. Everyone in Tampa is in real estate. I That's going to stop. You know, that's good. Yeah. You're no longer like guys were able to just make, we deal with brokers, right? Often. <laughs> and, and that's another thing we yeah, can talk about. Yeah. We're shifting away from dealing with brokers because their, their loans typically have a higher default rate. Right. But, when, di- but dive into that. Cause, cause you were a broker on the commercial side yeah. and then the brokers on the residential side. And I think it's a real key difference on what, you know, Frank has seen on the commercial side and what we see over here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, when you're on the, when I was on the commercial side, as a broker, you're delivering a full package. You're doing a full analysis of the deal. You're delivering this file to the direct lender saying, hey, this is the deal. This is why it makes sense. Here are the economics. It's a comprehensive package pertaining to the project, right? And at that level where you're dealing with you know bigger deal sizes, you need to add that type of value as a broker. Otherwise, there's no reason for you to be there, right? And it's, mm. it's very cutthroat. On, in our business over the last, let's call it like five years, 10 years, it was very easy as a broker you know, you, you go, oh, okay, hey, Garrett, you want to build a house? Cool. Hey, Frank, iPhone Cities, I got a, this guy who wants to build a house. He's got pretty good credit, and he's got pretty good liquidity. Um, you know, I'm going to introduce you. And then I, I start talking to you, and I bring the deal all the way to the finish line, and then they rip a point. You know, greedy ones rip two. Some rip three, right? And that, it's crazy. you know, so it's that, crazy. And so that those days are over, you know, because I'm not going to waste my time, right? Like, you want you want to broker a deal to me? Tell me why it makes sense, you know, because I just I'm already servicing all of my guys, you know. So if you want to you want to get in line here, you know, the second you waste my time as a broker, you're done. Right. More importantly, like the broker's not going out on site. Right. They're not doing anything besides flipping a name to Frank. Right. Right. With I mean, that's it. Right. So that borrower is getting no value from that. Why would he pay an extra point or two points when you go to Frank and get real value? Right. 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 So how does, it's kind of a broad question, but how does all this end up? I feel like we, that's where this should go. Cause I, you know, yeah. I, I'd love to hear your perspective. And, right and, I, and yeah. I don't know if, if you're allowed to make predictions or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if the investors like that. I don't know how the whole business works at that top level, sure. but I feel like you have a really good macro perspective. You're in multiple markets. You've been in the business quite a while. <laughs> you came through the crash. You saw what happened. Obviously you were in a market with super low interest rates. I bet in your space, that was incredible. 100%. Handing out money, handing out money. A lot different today. What do you kind of see in the next like 24 months? How does this end up? So I, I, 
I'll go macro and then I'll go IFC. I'll go IFC and I'll go macro. So from IFC, when when money when liquidity is flush, we tend to lose, and the big institutions tend to win on just price, right? And if you're a developer, and there isn't, it's a commodity product. So outside of Frank adding a lot of value and us being able to do some unique things from a product perspective, there's not a lot of differences. So you're going to go with who gives you the best service, right? And 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 optimally, you know, leverage and, and quality of. of you know, sorry, leverage and rate actually matter. So when liquidity is off, we win because we got the hybrid product, the balance sheet, and we're always consistent and we close because our performance is good and we didn't do- throw shit at the wall when liquidity was flush. So mm. we continue to grow through these credit cycles. Like we were one of the only lenders that didn't disappear in COVID. Right. Because we have really good institutional relationships. And, and stayed been, conservative on our guidelines. And stayed conservative and gave fair loans. Fair loans, great leverage, just not ridiculous mm. leverage. Right. So the guys, so the, the what makes sense for us is the guys who can understand that and digest that, understand that we're going to be here long term, right? So the guys who are just shopping rate and points, you know, you're going to be bouncing around lenders and then they're going to disappear. And now you have no relationships. Whereas the guys who stuck with us and said, "Hey, I'll take a half a point higher on my rate," you know, they have they maintain a relationship with us. And now when all of these other clients from all of these other lenders are now bum rushing to our doors, you know, trying to get our money. Well, they have to wait in line behind the guys who stuck mm. with us, took our higher rates, you know, because they understand that we were actually protecting them. We were saying, hey, man, listen, ride through this with us and we'll be here on the other side and mm. we'll continue to fund your project. So if you have to 100%. take if you have to clip some of your pros or your profits, you know, to maintain this relationship and, and take our loan and ride through this, it's going to be lucrative for you on the other side when we get over it. And that's yeah, correct it, if I'm wrong. Yeah, but if you have an 85 to 90 percent loan to cost loan, or sorry, 90 percent loan to cost or like 85 LTV, and you have any market correction, you're bringing money to the table in the refinance without an incredible credit cash score. in refinance. And then you don't have the cash. All right, so now you're selling the project, but you're selling the project at a discount, right? Yep. So Ooh. we're looking at ex- multiple exit strategies, and really, we're and the real developers do this on their own, right? Right. Should, should, should. And and the younger developers that we see have a lot of talent and, and energy and passion and want to be in this business, we help them see mm. that because we made all these mistakes. Yeah. We fucked it up. Right. I had nine duplexes that I built in cost this year that I totally lost money on. I couldn't get out of them. I, I, I couldn't get out of them. So be I sold them at a discount. That. Like that, that's a lender in the business with a building partner building at cost and, still, yeah. and got smoked. I didn't yeah. lose a ton of money, but I didn't make any money either. Right. 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 So being able to like, you know, talk through that personal experience to the borrowers, that just helps them get like aligned with us. Is that the fear that that there will be too many guys out there that when money was cheap, you could throw shit at a wall and it would stick. And now there's a lot of those guys. Fuck, what do we do? Well, what do we do? Let me you call Ryan. Let me call it. Frank. Is that kind of Dude, what you're when you have, frenzy? Yeah, it's when really when you have when you frenzy. have thousands of guys who have let's call it hundreds of projects, maybe even 10, 50, right? When when they are now forced, when they thought they were gonna do a cash out refinance and pull equity out of the project, but instead are now, you know, bringing all of these projects out of bridge debt, right? Short term money mm. into long term money, instead of actually getting cash out to go do more deals, you're actually bringing cash to close. And the problem is a lot of developers don't have any cash because they just went on this fucking buying frenzy over the last 10 years. So now the guys that, Ooh. yes. So the guys that weren't smart and don't have a cash reserve on hand are now going to, they have five, 10 projects that are coming to the perm market. And now they have to bring millions of dollars to, to get permanent finance on them and they don't have it. That's when you start seeing foreclosures. That's when you see the bank starting taking over assets, right? And it's like this big REO sale. And then naturally because of, you know, them trying, 
trying to short sale everything or fire sale everything, they have to drop the values. Right, so that is yeah, or or they were smart and, and they had decent leverage on it, but they can't get all their cash out and they don't have enough cash to go run pursuit on new deals. Right, and they're stuck. And they're stuck with this prop with these properties now, right? Mm. And so, it's, it's what's, just, it's what, just, it's, what's what's a way it could turn for the worse or turn for the better? Like, yeah. like is there a situation where we could get into a two thousand eight where you have so many developers with so much product that they can't finish. So I think we have such a lack of supply and inventory. Okay. Right. That I, I don't, I think we're saved by that. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going there and I, I'm not, I'm sure they don't know that answer. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. You know? It's a crystal ball question right. for sure. Yeah. But, but I think the supply is definitely holding pricing value and I think it will continue. And if rates come down, I think we'll be absolutely fine. Our Do rate, you see that happening? Rates. So markets telling you that, you know, rates are going to stay through 20, yeah, twenty four, and maybe even longer, right? If you look, right. if you look at the yield curve and kind of what what's happening there, but I think long term we'll be in an interest rate environment that's fair. We're going to be in interest rates of you know ten year, three and a half, three three and a half, something like that. So your mortgage rates are going to be four and a half, five and a half. Your commercial paper is going to be five and a half to six and a half. Those mm. are those are fair, and bridge debt will be nine ten. Those are fair, healthy numbers. Yeah, those are great numbers. Those are great numbers. We were operating in a high leverage, low interest rate environment, and those days are over, right? So those like, days are over and yeah. probably gone for the foreseeable future. Dude, the sentiment around developers that's is I, think. I want to build a hundred homes without any of my own money. <laughs> that's like, that's really it. It's like, do you think that a lot of the savvy developers, right? You mentioned kind of the two different types, the new guys, the hungry, ambitious, maybe they don't know what they're doing. They don't have any of their own cash. And then the savvy ones that have maybe been in business a long time or the smart young ones. Yeah. Do you foresee a lot of those savvier developers picking up projects that the more risky guys or the guys that didn't know what they're doing? Are they coming to you and saying, Hey, this dude's in trouble. He's got 20 homes that he can't finish. I want to try to figure out a way to finance it and buy him out. I think there are, we was having a developer yesterday looking for those opportunities. We're not seeing a ton a of that, ton, yeah. ton of that yet. But, um, but it sounds like the writing's on the wall with there's, there's guys in trouble. If the liquidity dries Dude. up at the institutional market, these boys are in deep shit. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of, I mean, dude, we if are seeing fraudulent activity out the ass like really? yes guys just trying to squeak by sneak something in like Whoa. trying to pull a fast yeah dude yeah. You, at an accelerated rate than let's say last year the year before i've yes. seen it i mean i've seen an yeah. increase in the last three months right because we're Whoa. getting more and you're talking locally everybody's betting rates rates are coming down and they're not coming and they're they're scrambling yeah mm. mm-hmm. and so you're seeing this across all markets we we are yeah. Wow. And so developers are so used to getting what they want, right? Like they it's like, oh, if you won't do it for me, that guy will, right? And if he won't do it, there's seven other guys who are willing to give me money, right? Ah. And th- those days are over. Like that just doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And and now because their typical buckets of cash that they're used to have dried up, we're getting looks at so many more deals. And they and bought the Lambo and they got the this yes. and they got the that, Dude, right? Yes, right? Like so I drive a truck. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and you still have that. You still have that uh, house. That original house, house, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, he also has a house in Utah and Avalon, New Jersey. But anyway, anyway, I'm sure you're. But they're all, dude. I bought them in 2015. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I bought my beach house for 450 thousand bucks. Brian doesn't flex at all. Crazy, although he could, but he doesn't flex. I don't know, flexor. Yeah, but that's why you're so successful, and that's why you you'll probably be in this business for your entire career and the rest of your life. Well, but I'm also conservative, right? So the super rich take big, big bets. Like we Mm. have, I have big balls, but I don't have giant balls, right? And so I don't know that we'll ever be super rich, but we're going to be comfortable, and we're going to make sure that our guys are comfortable, right? And that we support developers. We're not greedy. 
I don't think yeah. nobody on our team is greedy, and we understand that there's like a you know there's it's bigger than us at this point, and it's it's all of our borrowers too. Like they're an extension of our team as well. We're it's our job to help get them through this shit, you know. And so again, it's a testament to our borrowers who stuck with us, and then our ability to vet out you know the good borrowers. But yes, I think there's a huge risk of you know the the cash in refinance at scale, huge foreclosures, and then you know the guys who saw this coming, like Tom Wood, who's sitting there like. Can't wait, you know, like he's I would the, imagine there's a lot of that. Yeah, the, I'm sure the guys who went through 2008 and missed the opportunity to buy are now sitting here going, can't fucking wait. Yeah, they know? have their war chest filled with cash ready, ready to, to go. go. The yes. problem is the so do the institutions. Yes. And so I don't know. So that, do I. Right. So does he like everyone's on the sideline, yeah. Yeah. which I think is good news, because if rates do fall. There will be demand. There will prices will appreciate. Yeah, but to his point, institutions are going to come in and knock everyone out. No like, shit. Yeah, go tr- go try and you know compete with uh, Blackstone. Well, on, do you guys believe there's going to be legislation that prohibits that in the near future? I, I don't really, I, I, and I'm not educated enough on that particular topic but to you, actually speak to it. But I can tell you from what I'm hearing that on the street level that these boys are gearing up. And they're gonna this bank it's out. So we had seven thousand banks. We're down to forty nine hundred banks. Whoa! If we stay in this real in this interesting, what was the timetable between seven thousand and forty nine? I, I don't know. I can get that for you so you can cite it. But, but you, I mean, but you decades or like a quick shift? Wasn't that since uh, SVB? I don't know. Okay. So I don't want. I don't want. I don't want bullshit the pot. But I know there's forty nine hundred banks. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's checking out. Yeah, we think there's another consolidation there, and when that consolidation happens, and banks start letting loose of their CRE portfolio. Blackstone and and the rest, all these big boys are coming in to buy that paper, and retail's not going to have that shot. The, these guys want to own forty percent of the residential market in the next ten years. They own three, so they're fueling it on both ends. Guys, I've read like, articles they've saved billion. I want to say a trillion was earmarked or something like that, like a crazy amount of money. And they're going to they're going to control enough inventory to control the rents. That's what they want. They want to. Do you enough. think the federal government would let that happen though? <laughs> But then, but then the conversation comes tell up you, there in bed That's a, da- with that's a danger. Right. That's a dangerous yeah, topic. I, I, I don't want to. I'll tell you. I would, I'm kicking I'm not thinking yeah, about I, killing I, myself. I just want to put it out there. So. I'm going to plead the fifth, but tell, I'll tell you, nothing surprises me anymore. You know, nothing would surprise me if they came in and forty-one. So, so where are we at? So 30,000 banks in 1921, 100 years ago, 4,100 down 86 percent. Wow. But dude, that you know what though? That makes sense though. Sorry, Frank, no, but no, like. No. There used to be the Bank of Ybor City, Columbia Bank, a local fa- uh, Tampa family owned that, right? Now it's like Sonovus, Bank of America, right? You do see this consolidation. Yeah. So you're saying there is right, currently another shift of we consolidation. Think, we, think, we think. We think is coming. And in that, it helps private lending. So we think private equity and hedge funds fill what community and regional banks are. Mm. And, got, and guys that are oh, stewards of really good capital, can man, and, and construction is the key to this thing. All you fucking lenders, here's the tip. Construction's the key. That's where your regional banks and community banks played. And we've been there managing that risk. So our growth is going to be exponential over the next five years in new construction because they're all coming to us because no bank's lending to them unless you have an existing relationship and you put huge deposits in. Well, didn't that used to be the way the world worked? You'd have a local banker, you'd go in, you'd have a relationship with him, whether it was for business or for real estate. You don't see that anymore. So kind of what you're saying is, that's where you guys are coming in today. We're filling the gap. You're filling that gap. You're going to be the local guy that you have a relationship with. I need money for X, Y, or Z. But here's the key to that. That doesn't 
all the institutional lenders want to do fix and flip. So back to our initial conversation of like the capitals now finally starting to catch up to, mm. okay, I got to go do build the rent. I got to go do infill townhome. I got to go do infill spec. I got to do something other than fix and flip, which I'm super comfortable with. And moving that's like getting my wife to like me. <laughs> yeah. That just doesn't happen right. after 10 years. Right. So it's really slow. I got, I got to buy a lot of jewelry. Got to bring a lot of flowers, and maybe I get late. And they're willing to pay. The the <laughs> so like, oh, who are we sitting with when they said uh, maybe you weren't there? But I was speaking to someone who works with Lenar, and they're like, "Hey, Lenar's got a quota to build five hundred homes in Florida, and the, period. Go f- go build me five hundred homes in Florida. I don't care what it takes to get it done." Yep. Right, so because that, they need to deploy the capital, they just have to have they, the money. They need inventory there. to build these houses, yeah. I and mean, they just took huge money from from mm. from Buffett. Right, I don't I think he went to NVR, Lenar, and, and Pulte. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact. The big so anyway, they they have this quota to hit, and it's like, yo, money, whatever, go do it. You know, like what? Mm. Just go get me five hundred. Go build me five hundred homes in Florida. So yeah, that that tells me that they're ready. The big institutions ready to come in with massive, massive tranches of capital and start buying shit. And Fort Myers, I was sorry, just real quick. No, yeah, his partner Chris has an, uh, an investment project in Fort Myers Beach, asked me to go down and just check it out, right? And I'm driving through there. I'm like, holy shit, this looks like a third world country. Like, Well, they just got fucking destroyed sure. by that hurricane. Right, yeah. you know, but um, I called Chris. I'm like, dude, you might want to get the, like, get the fuck out of this project. Dude, there's a boat in your kitchen. <laughs> like, there's, there was literally a boat in his kitchen. You got a whaler. Yeah, it was like, I'm like, dude. Are, Those are nice. Yeah. They are, one like, bad. Do you know what? It's a hell of a deal. Plug the hole up. That's man, right. Get that thing rolling. So he was familiar. He knew that it was, like, destroyed. And so what I did on my way out is I stopped at every construction site, you know, re- rehabbing these massive hotel projects on the beach. And I'm like, <clears throat> what's going on here? You know, like, can you guys just tell me? They're like, Frank, first of all, eight months ago, it looked 10 times as bad as what you're seeing right now. And I was, that was tough to believe because I was like, holy shit. But then they told me, listen, man, this thing's going to be re- rebuilt two to three years. All of your major institutions came in, bought every one of these boutique hotels along the beach. Holy shit. Right. So they've already came in and, and laid down that capital yeah. to acquire some of those Well, that's what they look for, properties. dude. They look for the guys who are in the shit who can't, you don't have the rescue capital they need to get their project back up and running. And they go, yeah, I'm willing, I'm, I'm going to come in and dump a shit ton of capital here. They're probably picking them up at a discount. I'd have to imagine guys oh, who are just like, yeah. fuck this. I don't want to do this. Exactly. You know? they, I bet their appetite for a lot of those hotel developers, even single family guys in that affected area in Fort Myers, they're probably like, dude, just give me my money. I want out of Yeah, this. right. I'm done with the headaches. And so all these bigger institutions come in and they buy everything up. So like if that's a precursor to anything that's about to happen, and, and it's what we see every it's cyclical and every cycle the market gets smaller the big fish get bigger and the guys you can't afford to stay in the game are fucking out of the game and that's the same with the banks same with lenders same with bill it's like the those, market. those institutions though are going to be very selective moving forward about the market they enter into right and i would imagine they're favorable on that, florida man. versus pennsylvania dude they are but this leads to a great great yeah. segment we should pull up which is the insurance risk and market here in florida which is a huge conversation and problem and yeah yeah and i mean we can't get into all of it today but maybe on another episode we get into it but it's a huge underlying risk to the institutions and the reinsurers have taken massive hits you know so behind insurance they they lay off that risk to a reinsurers and those reinsurers have like a munich re and they've taken massive losses so I get concerned about Florida a little bit in the short term just because you got high property values. You now have high property taxes. You now have high insurance costs if you can get insurance. Right. Right. And so, like, you were talking about your your condo, right? I mean, it's it's just – it's expensive now to play ball. And so I don't – 
I don't know where that shakes out, but I think it's an interesting topic to discuss, and we should do some but research as a team. That'd be a lot of fun to actually dive into You know, that. that's the lender's window, like a conservative point of view, and then you talk to a lot of our developers, like, shit ain't slowing down here. Facts. So that's facts. very true, facts. yeah. You know, so that's... you, And then it's like, it's tough. It's like, well, you know what? Which one is it? Nobody knows. You said well, who, who moves the needle further, right? Is it the local developer that believes in Tampa? Right, and, oh, that's a so great question. Versus, dude, the institutions Right, who's the driver? Right who's so, the driver? So I think it's scale, the institutions, but the local developer also makes a huge impact, right? And we need more yeah. of those passionate developers doing more of it, and we got to find them, right? That's our job to find them and put money to work so we can build the community. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. What do you think, Ryan, just about the Tampa Bay area? First of all, when did you first come here and check the city out? Was it recently? Two years ago. Only two years ago. Yeah, two years What'd ago. What'd you do to grow the market, like here specifically? Because I came down here, it's like, got to introduce you to this person and this person and that guy and this person, and we know someone over here. And you did that all on foot, like by yourself, right? Yeah, I, did, I, I drove down and I just got an Airbnb. I did one in, in Pasagro, like so St. Pete area, right? Mm-hmm. And I did one in Hyde Park, right? And I didn't know anything about Hyde Park or, or St. Pete. And it was really just kind of a recon trip. And I drove the streets and walked the streets and biked the streets and Start knocking on doors and taking pictures of signs. Dude, no one would do that in your position, I feel like, right? <laughs> like no trace. other lender at your level would walk the streets and feel the city, man. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, a lot, of, it was a lot of fun, dude. And Tell totally me what you it. think. Do you believe that this city could be, a, a I don't know, like a Boston size or something significant one day? It's grown so much in the yeah. last few years. I do. I think the young energy here is electric, right? Yeah. And I think, I think you got two personalities and what it fits either one, right? You can be hippy dippy artsy and be in St. Pete more laid back, but like hip and yeah. Bitcoin and tech metropolitan, and, or you yes. can be like, all right, I'm, I like dress. I like the vibes. I'm going to be more Miami ish. I'm going to hang out in Tampa. And like that ecosystem with the pro teams and real estate, right. and beautiful water and your access to the airport, your infrastructure. Like it's a, Favorable it's a business politics. Can, can I bring yeah. something up that I thought, did you see, uh, did you see Tampa tomorrow? The women. <laughs> oh, I, I do want to talk about pretty that. ladies and pull up Tampa tomorrow's Sorry, page. I wanted to send this to you last night, but you Bef- don't have a freaking Instagram. Before we touch on that, though, because I do thank you, Frank. Thank yeah. you for reminding this, me. This That's piece, fascinating, piece and I up. and I do think Ryan would have insight yeah. on that. Yeah. Um. But but Tampa, real quick, I I think it's fascinating and really incredible that you recognize the two vibes of St. Pete and Tampa. Immediately. Yeah. Dude, they was because like Iraq and Iran. They were like, you, dri- <laughs> you drive from St. Pete to Tampa and Tampa to St. Pete. I'm like, yeah, man. They're, I'm like, it's like seven miles or whatever. They're like, bro, nah, man, we don't go there. Yeah. I'm like, all right. I think our market is so special in that way and it's only now being discovered. So yeah. I think if anything's going to insulate us from whatever crash could occur or downturn, we're in a great spot, right? Yeah. I agree. So this just came out on Tampa tomorrow. So, right, just real quick. Yeah, go we ahead, did $9 Frank. billion dollars in permitting in like the last two years, right? We have a ton of luxury towers being built all this you see the cranes downtown and so you know what's interesting is now read this construction set to halt there's a liquidity crisis first of all can you pull up um x tampa on google images because i want to tell you about the project first the fact that they went under is was alarming to me i had to look into the developer i think they're having problems with other projects i don't think it's tampa specific which makes sense okay um, but man, they had this incredible project. So they bought a historic block of downtown Tampa. There's an old church on it that they're going to keep and turn into this incredible event center. X Tampa uh, should be Lamar Johnson. That might be it. So they're creating this incredible event center in this old church. You can kind of see the steeple yeah. of it right here. Um, you know, kind of student housing, younger person housing, cool vibe. 
dope project, right? Co-work space, totally catered towards Tampa, kind of like you mentioned. It's very metropolitan here, businessy, young energy. This project was catered towards that and would be incredibly successful. They had to halt construction. So the new article, if you can go back to Instagram, they're having some sort of a money problem. And while already under construction have to completely stop, I think they're at like the parking garage level. Um, so what I happens here, Ryan? Like, what? First of all, though, I don't see anything that's actually information in here about what the cause could be. Houston Chronicle ran a story that X Houston, a co-living development, stalled construction in the museum district in Texas as well. So it's clearly not a Tampa problem. Obviously, this developer's having issues. We were talking earlier about maybe the guy with 20 homes or you even had problems with your duplexes. Sounds like it's happening on a bigger level, too. I think this level is massive, right? I mean, I think you can pull up a Goldman article. I think they wrote down half their commercial real estate book, which was billions. So what do you do with all the the projects that are mid-construction here? I mean, you're seeing, I don't know, if you guys are watching the articles, I'm sure you guys are, you're seeing rescue funds come out of the woodwork, right? Guys raising real, real money, billions of dollars to go rescue these projects. So I think they get done. Go to the right, Tyler. Look at how far along these guys were on on the Houston project. Yeah, I mean, to so so to some, so so some REIT comes in there and helps them, right? Some some big fund structure, some REIT helps. That's a Class A building in a great neighborhood. Okay, so you, they're going to there's be, an appetite to rescue projects like that. Yeah, yeah, but it's a bigger level, right? It's a big private equity hedge fund REIT game. That's that's beyond insurance company or do they. So insurance company may own that bond, right? Or may Got own it. that asset long-term. But you're going to have guys that are smart, real estate-minded, that are putting real money to work in projects at an institutional level at a project. And that's not my expertise. We were talking earlier about how Wall Street, you know, investors hate volatility and uncertainty. 100%. So scroll down real quick to the comments. I think a big part of that plays into the public's mindset perception. about the market and perception about yeah. the market. If everyone's afraid to buy, you know, that's that has a negative effect. Well, someone on the who's market. not in the industry is looking at that going, "Holy shit, are we going to have a city filled of half completed?" Well, that that's what I'm getting to, right? So like these comments, you know, the dominoes are starting to fall, get ready for another statewide bust. There is that doom and gloom that people have talked about for a long time, and right. I even think the larger level institutions are planning for it. We talked earlier, they're building their war chest. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of those bigger instances, go ahead, please. Well, so so I think Florida is interesting, though, because of the political climate and people want to live here now. You have Kathy Wood, right, in St. Pete. You got Goldman. You got Citadel coming to Miami. I mean, Prudential's here. You're starting to see real employment fundamentals that you didn't have mm. in, in seven, eight, nine, right, that, that are here, in addition to the tourism, in addition to the construction industry. And so uh, I, I think people are going to continue to migrate to Florida. It's a great place to live, right? And these projects get done when they get done, how they get done. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but there's money on the street and an appetite for this type of deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a primary market. Could you say the same thing in Philadelphia? I I cannot. Uh, Yeah. So, so that kind of, that's where that line is drawn, right? So that's market specific. So, so you believe that in good markets, deals will still get done. Whereas maybe in a shakier market, California, New York, whatever, there will be some fallout. There will be some projects that so go on. Florida's under. an immature market in certain markets. Tampa's young, right? It's the last 10 years getting kind of vibrant and cool. Philadelphia's a very mature. New York's a very mature. California's a very mature market. So mm-hmm. let's just take Philly because we know it. It's a meds and eds community. you got six incredible universities. You have four of the largest um, 
Bridgeter Investment Advisors there, Vanguard, and then you have a whole biotech sector. I mean, it's massive employment. It never booms in bust. It didn't boom in bust in 2008, 2009. It just stays steady. Mm. But you don't see the hyper growth. So these guys are growth oriented. So your growth capital is going to migrate to Texas, to mm. Florida, to the Carolinas, right? Charleston, North Carolina, where you have the research triangle. All these markets are incredibly immature as it relates to a New York, a Boston, a Philadelphia, DC, a LA, right? And so I think you're going to continue to see, and there's an appetite, right? If, the, if, if you talk to anybody on the street, they're like Southeast market. And what happened in the commercial space is now like, okay, I found yield on real estate in the Southeast. Give me all the residential real estate throughout the Southeast. Mm -hmm. They just shifted gears. Come in in a big way. It's like, all right, foot on the get direction, foot on the gas. I'm going. What are you seeing? You're, you're very well boots on the ground with some of these developers. Are guys coming to you like, what's going to happen, Frank? You know, what's the rhetoric? Um, I mean, we, we touched on it. A lot of, a lot of my guys who are good sponsors, you know, had good banking relationships, lines of credit, you know, and, and those are quickly drying up, right? So I, what I'm seeing now is guys going out to the market, testing the market and trying to find new outlets for their projects. That's Mm -hmm. really like, I'll I'll give you an example. We have, you know, we have a few of our competitors here locally and, you know, I'm very familiar with the guys that they work with. I'm sure they're familiar with who I work with. And I've seen a lot of their guys over the last month or two who, you know, would have conversations with me, but not really like, you know, entertain me. Um, now, like, fully, hey, you know, fully available, ready to take a conversation, you know, and, and that's, you know, they have to start looking for different buckets of capital. It, it, it is forever changing, but it's changing in a big way in the banking environment. And so these guys who are used to calling up their bankers, you know, they just can't do it anymore. Mm. So that that's what I'm seeing. It's just guys looking at creative ways to fund their deals, different ways to fund their deals. And I think a lot of developers are trying to wrap their head around the market right now, like as much as we are. Right. We got other lenders who are doing their own real estate projects coming to Frank to fund their real estate projects. That's what's hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Think about that. So principles of other lenders with their own lending platform coming to Frank to fund their deals. Holy shit. They have their own fund doing their own thing. That's how you know you got a great product. Well, right. just, and a great territory manager, right? Like, in a great, it's a great steward of capital. Right, and great relationships. It was super interesting for that, like, for that relationship to process. We ran into this dude on the street, and this is, and he, you know, he big time Frank at one point, and Frank's down in, an, in another market, and he's shooting a site, a video on site for a developer, and then the kid hits him back, and he's yeah. like, he's like, yeah, man, like, the kid said, I work with these developers, and Frank's like, no, man, like, I actually work with developers. He's like, let me get a hit. Like, hook me up yeah, now, so, Frank. So I reached out to, I saw that he was doing We're work. We're seeing a ton of this, yeah. dude. So I saw he was doing work in my market. I reached out. I was like, hey, I found a lot of, you know, the projects down there. Who's the developer? And he's like, I actually work directly with the developer, so. We're set on our dough. Yeah, like. No, we don't need any money. We're, We're good. We're yeah. good, you know. And then a few months later, I break in in a big way to that entire network and, you know, the people that were behind that project. And so I'm, you know, doing my thing. And then I get a message, yo, who's the developer on that? I'm like, man, you big leaked me when I asked you the same question. I go, just so you know, I run with all your dogs. Like, I, <laughs> like the guys who are teaching you the industry, I'm, I, I work with them, right? And so, like, that was just, a, it was a funny moment. I yeah. knew Frank, Frank is the dog. Dude, he is, man. He's a fucking awesome salesman. Yeah. Even Thank when you. you were doing Studio HB, what's, uh, what's up with that, man? You we still, still do it. Yeah, yeah we, we service our book of business. Because you're doing currently. like websites and yeah, branding for larger develop, commercial pitch development deck, projects. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, and you know, it's just, it's, um, it's a nice thing to have in my back pocket. You know, like I have a client who, you know, has a remodeling business, wanted a website, but like, as far as involved, I do business development, and then I, I have my partner who services the book of business and. Yeah, I mean, 
that's been great too. Yeah, you know, that's it all been great too. it all ties together. Yeah, I mean, what does. he did with the map, which I think I've seen on one of your other podcasts, yeah, is, is badass. Right? It's, so it's, bad a talking, ass. it's a talking yeah. point. It's a talking point. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I get one of those? Yeah. Okay. Kaiten's like, it's like ten thousand. But like, can I get a discount? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grand. So, Kaiten, so funny. Kaiten just bought a twelve thousand dollar printer so we could print these things at mass. Oh lord. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I ain't paying ten. Listen, grand. I just uh, Ryan and I have. So Ryan's a connector of people the same way I'm a connector of people. Certainly learned a lot from him and what he does, and he knows everything everybody in every single place right and so like there's and there we were talking about this there's like a you know a balance between that you can't solve every problem but if you could add value outside of just funding the project and like really develop a relationship you know it just it carries you a lot further and yeah and it's just about building you know building something bigger than than yourself and building people around like bringing people together right like hey you know you guys are doing this over here and you know you're doing this over here introducing and saying i think there's a lot of synergies here and then this is where like i can bridge the gap mm. right and it's just problem solving well, he, God, brought, he brought that spirit back to me I, i'd say i lost a little bit of that i've been so jaded by people saying they would do something and not doing it yeah. that i'm a little bit more as i get older a little bit more reserved like reserved on who your core is and who your people are i don't think people respect the value that that is anymore right yeah. they're like oh well frank's just connecting me and there's and not that there has to be monetary gain but in my opinion, when observing you over the last six months, like people just take advantage of that a little bit. Yeah, and, and he, you know, but but he naturally does it because that's what he wants to do. Like right. he love you love it. Right, you love it's it. good to have a balance of like a guy who's been here, been burned, been and now callous to a lot of this and can sniff through bullshit. Where you have like a guy like me who's like, I'm just gonna run through this wall and go, you know, just figure it go. out the way in. Yeah, yeah where Ryan kind of gives me like a, hey, why don't we take a step back and look at like what problems we're actually solving if it actually progresses your business forward. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it moves me in a negative direction, but then you have to look at, you know, the... The spirit. Right. Like mm. it's, his spirit wants to do it. So like I think that's also important, right? Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. How big is Florida relative to the other states you work in in terms of loans out? Yeah, Florida's almost 50%. It's 42% of our business. Dude, I think holy it'll be, shit. I think yeah. it'll be 50. And you started here. You said you came here for the first time two years ago. Well, so, and Chris had the East Coast. So Chris has got a great presence in Boynton Beach, Delray Beach, Boca um, ah, Raton. So we kind of divided and conquered, right? And, and what we found, so Philadelphia has a huge presence on the East East Coast, as is New York and New Jersey. And so all our guys during COVID were like, we're going to Florida. So they all started buying real estate down here. So that's how we got to the East Coast, which was like, okay, now let's go explore Florida. And wow. I was I was like, I'll take the West. Dude, if you could put an I'm sure there's a statistic out there. If you could put a number on the the development dollars and the capital that's been deployed down here since COVID, it's gotta be the number one state. So I think sure. in short order, we did we'll probably do three or four hundred million in product here pretty pretty quickly if we're not there now. And we I don't think need it though. That's the thing too. And a lot of people on that Instagram post were oh I'm waiting for the market to crash. Millennials paying for the um, praying for the market to crash. That's because there's really no inventory. Like I mentioned before, inventory is still low. So that capital does need to be deployed. We do need all of these homes being built. What well, are you seeing, right? Yeah. Cause you're on the brokerage side. So what do you I mean? And you talked a little bit about your condo. Maybe you talk a little bit more about that, but what are you seeing as a whole? On well, both the commercial side and we, the we talked about it in the beginning, but well, I, 98% of what I do is residential. Okay. So I really can only speak on that. I know commercial property is hurting. I've just read headlines, but in residential, in the higher end, right, we've always had people retiring and moving to Florida. Again, right, divorce, retiring, some of these lifestyle moves are going to continue to happen. And a lot of those people are not affected by the market. They have cash. We've always wanted to move to Florida. We've been talking about it for five decades. We're doing it. Yep. 
So that market is steady and actually going great. We've had our best year ever with that niche. So my mom works out of Sarasota. I work out of Tampa. My mom primarily works with those wealthy individuals. Yep. She's had her best year ever. Love it. So, so that piece of the market has stayed very strong. Additionally, our coast. That's what we're hearing too, by the way. Yeah, right? Is that the demographic of like well, 50 and so older? I, again, right, like real estate is very specific. I really can only speak on our little Tampa Bay area, Sarasota, that yeah. little Gulf Coast. We are so undervalued. Look at properties. Dude, that's what we heard. We just heard that. Yeah, yeah. So, Yesterday. So look at, look at Naples, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, <coughs> Boca, Palm Beach, extremely expensive real estate. Dude, you could get only a few years ago, I think it was 2019, so like four years ago, we sold a property to one of our customers for $3 million on the Bay in Sarasota. Today, the property is probably worth 10 you could still buy something today, waterfront, gorgeous. Have you been down to Sarasota? Tons, oh, yeah, I love it. Incredibly yes. amazing. Yes. Like the true Florida white sand, palm trees, incredible. Dude, you can get like a really sweet house on the water for a few million bucks. Good luck trying to go to Palm Beach and do that. Yeah. So right. not only are you seeing this influx of people that are continuing to move here from retirement, you're also seeing New Yorkers who've gone to the East Coast thinking, dude, this is crazy dude, expensive. foreigners too. Gee. So we're, we're seeing Floridians move from more expensive markets to our little Gulf Coast pocket. So the higher end, right, cash buyers, dude, that market is still incredible. We got guys building homes for, let's call it like two and a half bucks, right? Land for Well, back to your luxury yeah. development, single family. That market is killing. Dude, they just sold a, what was it, 2,700 square foot home for $5.2 million. We're over $1,000 a square foot minimum, non-waterfront, just in Sarasota, in the city, regular home. Yeah. We're, we're getting, we yeah. sold, um, you can pull it up, uh, the Allegra Homes model. If you type oh, in. Oh, we met, he met. Uh, oh, Joe. did, did yeah. you meet Joe and Rob? Yeah. yeah so yeah. so we represent them. We're their broker. We've worked with them for the last six, seven years now. They're so nice. Family business. Oh, they're a good group. To admit. Let me the, just real quick. They do it the right way. Like they're guys who don't over leverage themselves. Well, they do so it the right do way. Do you know Rob Allegra's background? Uh, I don't. I think he guys, told us, but I don't so remember. So he was the president of U.S. Homes. So yes, he he right. oversaw thousands of homes being built during the recession and before that. So he he had an extremely macro level developer builder perspective. So when he started this company, there he is right there. You know, he came into it with the opposite approach in mind. He only builds like 15, 18, 20 custom, beautiful luxury mm -hmm. homes in Sarasota. Never over leverages himself. Siesta Key, Lido Key, mainland Sarasota, right? He has this little niche and he's been extremely successful in that space. He sold the model. Type in on Google 1843 Clematis and he, he's been successful every year with these models. Dude, this was a one story. Beautiful, right? I don't but know how to spell clematis either. C L E M A C L E. Start doing there math. You go, showing results. M A T. It's up on your um, showing results. The. Uh, oh, you got it. Yeah, there you go. That's my dog. Eighteen forty-three. Let's see what pops up here. This is but, but your my, sale. Yeah. Got so it. so he these models right these homes are are niche. To the buyer I'm talking about, these retirees and the people who want these luxury homes. That's not it. 1843 is the address. But it's a single story, three bedroom, office, nothing crazy, only about 2,900, 3,000 square feet. He sold it for like $3.6 million. It's crazy. Tons of attention. It's hard to wrap your head around it. That's a big number. Yeah, dude. That's a dude. huge fucking number. 
You could like, go like, two gas stations for that. So it's crazy. So go. So this is it. Can you go? So this is where I fall down on this. Like. Yeah. I don't know anybody. They close for three, four. I'm Dude, sorry. Dude, think about Palm still. Beach, Ryan. Seventeen million dollar homes. No, I'm with you and, on the on the valley market. And I'm that's on the, the Where's point. the money coming from? But like, it's coming from. Oh, we're looking in Naples. Oh, wait, it's twenty million for the same house. Sarasota is just as pretty, if not better. More amenities, more culture. You got to think about too Naples. Where's your major metro? Where's your closest sports team? When you go to Sarasota, dude, you're an hour away from Tampa with the sports yeah. teams. And, and where's the, the money come from for Nantucket? Where's the money come from for the Hamptons? Exactly. Where the prices are so Sarasota and that Longboat Key, Siesta Key, that market is a total satellite to our city here in Tampa. So what we're seeing down there is an incredible space to be in. Yeah. Incredible buyer demand. We've had our best year ever. That's great. We've been trying to wrap our heads around it. That's been our big like push over the last few months. It's like. It clicked for me the last yeah. couple but, days. But, but the, if I'm a young man key? and I'm looking at that. Oh, yeah. Good luck. What am I thinking? Yeah. Like, what am I thinking as a young man, as a young man or woman? In, well, like, we've had conversations with Tyler. Like, yeah. like, Tyler's 21 years old. Tyler really wants to be a real estate investor. He saved up some good money from, from a nice sale he had this year. Um, he's done really well for a 21-year-old real estate agent. Dude, what is he gonna buy? Right. What is he gonna buy? Right. That that I think is the problem. Back to the question of what are you seeing? The younger guys. I just graduated college. You know, I'm I'm, I'm making good money. My parents will co-sign on the loan. Doesn't matter. What Dude, are you we gonna had- find? Vinny, your boy Vinny. You hired Vinny. Great kid. Super smart. Graduates UT. His parents and his girlfriend parents were going to co-sign on a loan. I think he was looking up to like, there he is. Shout out Vinny. Look at that stud. He, he yeah. was looking, you know, like anyone would, right? 350, 400 Gotta take grand. that suit off of him, though. Yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, but, yeah, besides that, we love him. Yeah. He needs to grow a little facial hair, too, man. He needs a little Ryan He's smooth as a baby butt. I have yeah, him right. staring in the mirror every night trying to push it out. But he ended up having to. <laughs> you got a hemorrhoid from. Anyway. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He ended up having to move out of Tampa to South Carolina because of the affordability crisis we're having. Or he was so, open to it. He was like, I mean, I what am I going to do? Struggle here? Or? Would he been? Would he be open to it though if he found a house here and he bought it? No, you know what I'm saying? Of course not. So we are seeing we're we're losing some young people, unfortunately. Yeah, we talked about that. It's like, yeah. how do we keep young professionals here? I think that's a super important driver to like the continued growth here. Um, so what's needed is affordable housing. We talk correct. luxury, but what we need is entry level housing. I'm gonna call it five hundred thousand dollars above. Where do you find that, Garrett, in, in Florida today? Well, and you, that's appealing to somebody young. You can find it outside of the city. Yeah. Jacksonville's blown up for that reason. I've actually, I actually know personally a few younger people, 25, 28, that have moved to Jacksonville for the same reason. Well, you could still buy a house, you know, a block off of the water for seven hundred fifty grand. When I was there. Oh you know, yeah. yeah, I was there yeah. like last month. Yeah, but it's totally I've been there too, and I agree with Frank, but but the appeal's not there. Like what it's it, not it's not Tampa. No. It's, it doesn't have that vibe. It's, no, a, it it's too northern, it's too Georgia, it's not Florida, yeah. right? It's not yeah. the white sand beach. It's it's not right. when you imagine moving to Florida, you definitely don't think of Jacksonville. Yeah, you want tropical. Yeah, you right? want tropical. Jacksonville is and like that's Savannah. what we have here. Yeah, right. Tampa not as much as like obviously St. Pete, Sarasota. But yeah, that's what's happening. Can we also add that entry level housing where it does exist is dog shit? Like it's it's all the fix and flip guys who came in and painted the walls and that's like something needs to happen with our local government that recognizes what we're talking about and enables developers to come in and build the affordable housing. Um, we've talked about it on the show before and 
sometimes I get shit for it, but just as a quick example, on Gandy Boulevard, right? So in South Tampa, there was a property that was bought by a developer for a few million bucks. It was the site of Kojak's. If you look up just Kojak's real estate, Blake Casper bought it. He owns the Oxford Exchange and the Stovall. I don't know what his plans are, but the developer he bought it from, you can maybe type in Kojak's property city council with a K, K-O Jax. Well, Lieber Moore is pretty active, right? He's your, he's your, he's your affordable housing director, I believe, of Tampa. This this property, though, they wanted to put townhomes on, and they I believe they only wanted to tear out a couple of the oak trees, and the city council wouldn't allow it. Interesting. So there is, there's this, there's a kind of an old, not in my backyard, old school Tampa person that doesn't want more traffic, right? They, you know what I'm saying? They have yeah. the rhetoric, don't tear out any oak trees, don't do this, don't do that. And then you have the younger people saying, dude, we need housing. Like, where are we going to live? What if so, we don't? What if we don't what? What if we don't need housing? What if the, they know, I'm just, this is all speculative. Yeah. But what if they're, what if, you know, government is looking at it and going, nah, man, luxury. It is luxury. Like, we're going to continue that. We're attracting those price points. Like, what if that's the mentality? I think in Sarasota, that makes a lot of sense. And they have done that in Sarasota. So Sarasota has blocked. Uh, mixed-use development on 41 in Bay of Vista. I can send it to you. Huge, almost like a Midtown Tampa. Are you familiar with Midtown Tampa? I am. So that was being built in the heart of Sarasota. They denied that. The Bendersons, Benderson Development, they did UTC, huge developer. They denied another project off Siesta Key. Uh, 1-800-ASK-GARY, you know that guy? Yeah. Are you familiar with yeah. that? But Sarasota also wants to keep it residential, right? It doesn't look yeah. like clear water. But, right. but that's what I'm saying. So Sarasota... Yeah, we learned that last night. Sarasota yeah. doesn't necessarily have that young professional population like Tampa does. Got so it. Sarasota doesn't care about the young for professional. They'd rather keep it clean and beautiful. Whereas Tampa should, dude, we need to lean into the young people, yeah. the, the college-educated young worker. We need those people to stay. We don't want Venny to leave. We want those people to stay. And here. we're still like two, three. I asked Ryan yesterday. We were visiting uh, you know, one of our guys up in, um, was it Tampa Heights somewhere? Or further north. Anyhow, I, I looked at Ryan. I go, if you were me, would you buy a house here? <laughs> you know? And like you see... Wow. Yeah, he said no, right? And so, like, I still think we're two, three years away from seeing the rougher parts, you know, just north. And a lot of people don't understand that Tampa was and still is, and it has problems, man. There's there's potholes and missing sidewalks and the infrastructure. It's a very ugly city in a lot of ways. Now, you go to Water Street, it's a lot different. Dude, Tampa has a long way to go before it's a nice city. I think we're going there, but. Tampa Heights and Seminole Heights are really the only option for well, young people. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I was. We were we were doing. I that bet project. you have a ton of projects in Tampa Heights. But Tampa Heights, you're pushing a million five yeah, now. Dude, still, right? still, yeah, still. For, for townhomes, they're building luxury. Yeah, it's luxury townhomes, right? All infill. Mm -hmm. um, I was so when I when I first came to Tampa for the first time. This was back in 2016. I had a friend who sat us down at the table. He's like, "Guys, why don't we move to Tampa?" I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" You know, I was like, <laughs> I was like, "No." Where? Yeah. Like what? Tampa. I was like, what are you talking about? So anyway, he moves, you know, a year later, the next summer, we go to visit him. And my buddy's like, hey, let's go visit Josh, you know, down in Tampa. So I'm like, okay, great. We get in the car, drive through the night. I fall asleep in the car, wake up at this, or get to the house, it's pitch black out. I wake up the next morning and I walk outside the door. I'm like, where the fuck am I? And I was in Newport Richie. Okay. <laughs> I was like, God, no. I was like, there's no way I'm, I would ever move here. You know, I didn't even know. Like I... I didn't this difference. This is Florida? Yeah. What? I was like, this is Tampa? What the fuck's going on? Anyway, fast forward, you know, to, to three years from there, what, however many years. 
and I'm here now and I now we're doing projects there. And so I went back to Newport Richie. I don't spend a lot of time there. And I'm like, holy shit, this place has changed, dude. I'm seeing multi-million dollar waterfront mansions being built that did, just did not exist there, mm-hmm. you know, when I was first introduced. And that's naturally the trickle down for, or, you know, guys who are getting priced out of this market going, well, I'm going to go build a fucking house, you know, for half the price in Newport Richie, sit on it for three to five years until that place is developed. And so like that, it's really interesting to see everything. What we had talked about years ago, you and I, like mm-hmm. of just about the city, what's going to happen? Yeah. And, and then to actually experience it is another thing, right? To like go to There's the different There's a huge markets. demand for it though. Like, you know, Miami has its own flair and Jacksonville and Orlando have their own flair. Tampa is a very metropolitan city. A lot of people want to live in a walkable area here. They want this to be a real city. Yep. younger people here and even people like I had on Roger German, he's the president and CEO of the Florida Aquarium. He's a huge advocate for creating an urban core. That's like street rail system, walkable. You're in an apartment, go downstairs, grocery work. Like that's what people want here. I think the government needs to recognize that and enable developers to build projects like that. Meaning, you know, not having, Hey, you don't have to build as much parking. You can focus on, you know, Uber and, and whatever else public transportation there there would be. So I just think there needs to be a shift in the at, local government. At the institutional level, right? Like I know it's all storytelling, but like do they do they look at any of these like contributing factors? Like do they dive this deep question. into their analysis of the market and go, oh, you know, if Tampa were to put in a rail system, it makes it a, a much, you know, much more commuter friendly city and you know, this is where it's going. So we're more likely like are they taking the Outside of the numbers and the raw data, like do 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 our institutional partners look at the markets like that, like objectively? Not my experience. I think you'd be shocked if you go up there, right? So it, it's three or four guys running billions of dollars for whatever vertical that they're running, right? So there's no way they could understand everything that is going on in right. the market. Same that, way we can. That's why the story is so important, right? That's why the boots on the ground and what we do is is important to them. That's why they would give mm. us money and so buy So you're almost loans. selling the market in, in a way. To them, right? Yeah. The more we know, the better we're educated in the market, the better we can deploy capital in a market with the right guys. Dude, Blackstone bought... I had a listing in South Tampa. Blackstone oh, dude, this bought this is it. awesome, yeah. Yeah, so so I had a listing in South Tampa. It was 485000 This was a couple years ago, right right when rates were low, when it was a frenzy market. Yep. And I had multiple offers, and one of the offers was from this representative from Blackstone. And it wasn't Blackstone LLC, right? It was like whatever entity they would use. And he explained to me the process and who the real buyer was and what they were doing. And I told the seller, I was like, dude, to be honest, I've never dealt, I've ne- I don't know the space. I don't know this buyer. I mean, I know who Blackstone is, but I didn't know they were buying homes. I don't know if they can close. He was like, dude, they're paying a ridiculous amount of money and they're putting a lot of money down. Like, fuck it. Let's just sign the contract. If it doesn't work out, it's a great market. We'll sell it to someone else. Dude, they closed that deal in like two weeks yep. cash. I mean, they came in hot and they had some type of a program where they had already identified a renter for the property. So this representative of Blackstone, he was a licensed real estate agent here locally. So Blackstone partners with local agents, almost like what yep. your guys' relationship yep. is. That representative finds a renter. The renter identifies a house that's on the market for sale and says, hey, Blackstone, buy that house for me and I'll rent it from you. So Blackstone is Holy lining shit. up a renter on the back end and then doing a cash offer to the seller. Wow. Uh, it's crazy. That's fucking crazy. So imagine that at scale, right? And I think we were talking earlier about how Blackstone is going to get from, you said, like 4% to 30%. They're baking the market. So the whole market, so the whole institutional market wants to 
own 40% of the residential real estate. And right? I think so how that's they the get premiums there, of the world. That's Blackstone. That's what they're doing. How they get there is, is just like you're doing with Frank, right? You have that local relationship, that font that knows the good houses, and then they just put offers on the properties they want. I don't think sellers are going to get letters in the mail. Hi, this is Blackstone. We want to buy your home. I think they're going to do it in in, a, in the same way you guys have a relationship. What right? an interesting model, lining up a rent. So that's the moat in the business, right? The moat in the business, the reason the business is, like lending businesses or these real estate, like offer pad was one here in Florida right. that did it, right? So the reason these guys are so successful is there's no way three guys in an ivory tower can come down to every single market and, and, and make it happen, right? They got to rely on on local talent, right? So, right. That, so that's a cool opportunity for any developer and or agent and or lender, right? Locally to, to partner with these types of folks. I think it's a good thing, right? Because... You know, and then I heard as well they have some sort of a path to home ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, the rent it, to own. It, it's almost like a rent to own, but it's not favorable. You don't lock in a price. You lock in like a new price down the road with a certain premium. It's not that advantageous. I guess it gets you in a home in a competitive market, right? Which is nice, right? But you're overpaying. I don't know how uh, it all plays out. I mean, it's something that has to get right. The other thing we didn't talk about, and we can get off the real estate stuff for a little bit, maybe, you know, but is the affordability, but the commodity prices, right? So, like the cost of labor and, and the cost of materials. So, in Florida, we've, we, or Florida, in Philadelphia, we have such an issue that we have to go to single room occupancy. And you just watch HUD in most of their areas, right, increase their rates 25% for affordability to pay a higher voucher for developers because you can develop a house. But you need to have multiple renters. It has to be a single room occupancy in some of these tertiary, secondary markets in these urban areas to make what, the to make the DSCR work to make the economics work, yeah. right? To actually make any money, there's no incentive anymore mm. for, for a developer to build houses when your labor costs, well, your commodity costs are so high. That's what. So we didn't get to talk about it in the car. We have a call later this afternoon with a company called Pad Split, who you introduced me to. So I was in Jackson. Shout out, yeah, shout out, Ty. Because I, I had a borrower who was like, I don't know how to rent out a property. And I was like, Ty, I know you probably don't want to take this on. It's probably not worth your time. And he sent me pad split. So that opened my like eyes. So what's pad split? Right. Yeah, I'll get into this, right? So what pad split does is they have like these approved layouts and they do single room rentals, right? So like they'll, they'll you give them your property and then they'll go and find tenants for each individual room after you bring it, you rehab it or build a new construction that meets their guidelines. So we're just, oh. we have a conversation with them later today. They have an exclusive partner who does all of their exit long-term permanent finance, but they have nobody who's funding the construction and they're rolling out a program where they bring in, you know, like uh, approved builders, right? The guys that they've identified as their approved builders who will go out and build pad split um, homes, right? Like homes built for like with a common area, individual rooms to their model. Yeah. And that... What's cra that's what's crazy, right? We were talking about like you know moving into a sh uh, a small apartment in New York, right? And now right. it's it's getting so small where it's like we're building a product around single room rentals. Well, dude, I so we, have, so we have a ton of that. So my whole portfolio, I've heard Frank mentioned, I've been a part of building four hundred homes in different partnerships, but the one hundred and fifty that we have left are all single room occupancy. Those are rentals for you, yeah. All single room rentals. Single room occupancy. There's so we're getting 725 to 950 per room. Per room. Dude, look so up like student the housing. Henry, downtown Tampa. That's bananas. It's crazy. I didn't know you That's were the only way that. the cash flow works. So right. that's what the Henry did. They built an entire building downtown with single room occupancy, and then they target UT and young professionals. Maybe that's where the solution does come in for, you know, we mentioned like the affordability crisis for young professionals. Maybe something like the Henry where you rent the room so the economics work out for the developer. 
and everyone's happy. These exist in New York, all over the place, where you get a well, room. Well, dude, and then don't they, they? I feel like they exist in Philly, New York, like major well, metropolitan They've had cities. such a stigmatism, the slumlords, though, right? Correct, And, and yeah. so now they're starting to professionalize that right. asset class. And now we're actually That going, model of that business, mo- yeah. yeah. And make them nice. Like, they're nice. Yeah. They're, well, not, dude, they're, they're a nice product. You now. could go get a room in New York at this, like, it's like you live on a floor. It's almost like a college dorm. And yeah. then you have this massive kitchen that you guys all share, bathroom, whatever. And that's the model. You know, I and I'm when, cool with when that. When people like, say, where's the affordable that. housing? This is, really this is the is solution. We get this so much hate. It. We get so much hate when we we talk about this shit. People are like, oh, you're a slave if you choose to live in one of these. It's, it's a choice. No, it's dude. called starting out in a city. And that's just what you do. That's 100%. what people have been doing in yeah. Manhattan. That's what they yeah. should do here, too. The idea that you're going to get a a developer to build something like a Water Street Tower or any name, any, even like a garden style apartment community, dude, it's never going to be affordable for the young professional. It almost has to be this way exclusively. Yeah, and you can make it cool, right? You add all the Dude, fucking, you can make you know, it awesome. All the invite amenities your friends, and, like, yeah, it's uh, a party. The kitchens are nice. It's a big hangout spot. Yeah, yeah right. It's a big dorm. This, this, and it should be peop- primarily. I'd assume it's a lot of young professionals. Yeah, so you all be in the same age. It's like a nice ecosystem to have when you're starting out, in my opinion. So Philadelphia told us we couldn't do these in nice neighborhoods, and I have a partner, partner Abe and Saw, Two Rivers Development. They're my only real estate partners left, and they should come on and talk on the show. Yeah. They, they, they love cigar. They've spent the last four years tracking down federal and state dollars. In Pennsylvania, and Why all would these the government approaches? not want those in nice neighborhoods because it has the connotation. Oh, you're going to bring in the yeah, because the it, yeah, because it typically caters to like transition housing, you know, people coming out of parole, um, drug addicts coming out of rehab. It tends to be a tough demographic in these things, and so they're like, oh, you can't, you can't do these in nice neighborhoods, and we're like, but people put their pants on the same way. So we brought in social services oh, from amazing. Penn and Temple and got these guys employment. And worked with non for profits in the city, and we've done it really well. And now we're beating on the city, going, "We need more of these. We have yeah. so many homeless people. Right. People need a place to live." And this th- might be the biggest asset class in the next like five. Yeah. Minutes. Also, I'm, it's I'm like, all in on this. Yeah. yeah. I'm all. In. I don't want any other real estate other than specific short term rentals, as I learn right. where I want to live and spend time. Right. <laughs> and this asset class. Well, dude, I mean, also, it's like you build shit, you attract shit. If you just if you, if you take the concept and then make it nice, like you're you're gonna get the Tylers who you know make good money for for the age group and like you know that, that's a good alternative for them. well it also breeds entrepreneurship yeah you got oh, thousands of guys like if i'm a university i'm building these and plugging into around dude, these yeah. right the yeah, brain the dude. brain trust yeah, this thing dude. is going to be awesome. it's like an incubator of young talent correct right like that's that's it's a, a fascinating be- way it's to a look beehive at it. of worker bees it's so true re- ready to share ideas go to the see if they have the amenities in here i would imagine they have a badass co-working space well, it's like living in, in a hotel out. with your boys all day right Private shuttle to the university. Yeah. Look how nice this is. You meet your wife here, you know. Now this, this really is the best of both worlds. You get to live downtown in the urban core. It's brand new. It's great. Maybe it's only a few years old. You live with your friends. You're paying way less rent than you usually would. Eight hundred, a thousand versus like two and a half grand. It really is the solution to these problems we're talking about. Who don't want a house? I just went to Park City. My had an eleven thousand dollar bill, plumbing, and a fucking garage door. I'll stay in this Andy thing all, is, all day long. Any yeah. tours, knee. You know, like I don't. Uh, home ownership is not what it what it was once was. Yeah. Well, that was in your, my in my opinion. That was your yeah. ticket to wealth in old school America. It was like you buy a house, you Dude, build the equity. But like I've been just, running the numbers on the house that I rent right now, thinking, bro, I'm living on like the nicest street. I'm right. Next to that Derek Jeter property. Yeah. Like, like it's like literally. Crossed. And I can roll whenever I want. I I'm can out. roll whenever I want. Hey, dude, the AC's out. Hey, dude, the toilet's out, right? I, I'm not obligated to fix anything because I don't own the real estate. And then I can take my money I would have put buying a house 
and make more money with it. That's right. Makes a lot of sense these days. It's yeah. an opportunity call, especially with the prices where they're at today. Yeah. If I was young, I'd rent. It, yeah. It's hard for me to say that as a residential broker, but I have told many people that. And I tell my associates to say that to your buyers. Just say, dude, it's a tough market to buy. You should consider renting right now. It's cheaper to rent, save your money. And when the perfect property pops up, I'll help you out. Well, it's like that, we, we're very honest with our people. I mean, we smart, tell everyone A that. smart buyer should know when it makes sense for them to buy. So, so I'll give you a cool example. So Park City, the house that I bought was on the market for $1.9 million. I looked at it for two years. I made an offer of $1.5. They got divorced. They fire sold it to me for a fraction of that, like below a million. Two years later. So find the property, find the market you want, study it, and stay on top of it, right? But, like, this instant gratification, like, you don't have to do that. And buy below replacement costs, right? If yeah, you buy right. buy below replacement costs, that's a really good point too. It's, a gr- it's a great investment for you still, right? And yeah, so- and, and buy quality. I mean, I know you got that cute little Cape Cod-style house, but here in Florida, dude, you don't want to mess around. You want block construction, for try sure. to get 80s, 90s, late 70s as well. Insurance is going to kill you if you get that little wood bungalow in a flood zone. Crawl like, you're going to pay 15 yeah. grand a year in insurance. Yep. And we chose neighborhoods. I got a little bungalow, but it's in the right neighborhood. It's the best school district in Pennsylvania. It's it's location, location. It's do you self-insure? Or do I, I don't. I don't. I still have insurance on it. I bet if that same property was in a flood zone here in Florida, you would consider it. Yeah, I would. Because it would be 20 grand a year. Well, most people don't understand about flood insurance. Flood insurance is for the pipe that breaks in your house. It doesn't read the fine print. It doesn't cover hurricanes in most cases. It's usually a separate policy. And so most people don't know that. They're like, I'm covered, but you're not. I learned that in Park City. I didn't know that. With the fires, right? And I'm like, oh, all these wildfires. I'm going to get in. I had a state farm policy. And I call my agent. He's like, you're not covered under wildfires. I'm like, so I spend another twenty five hundred dollars a year to just cover natural disasters from from a, from Lloyd's Lloyd's of London, right? So so pay attention to it because it, like it's a big issue. It's a huge. So factor. then why don't we require that for our Florida loans? So we cover we have builders risk, general liability. Yeah, and then wind and, 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 flood, and flood if it's in a flood zone. Because but that, natural disaster. So, so we insure the portfolio. Got it for a natural disaster got it, at the portfolio level for the stuff it. we hold on their books, got and the institutions it. insure their book of business. So we're covered. The borrower is not doesn't necessarily. And the, pro- and the probability of that for a short term duration loan, six to twelve to fifteen months, it, although it's getting higher, and that's why the institutions are really starting to look at Florida. Florida also has one of the strongest building codes in the entire country. So anything yeah. you do build in a flood zone, you have to build out of the floodplain anyway. You're yeah. literally not even allowed yeah, right. to build it below. Right. So I think you're protected in that sense too. Right. With new construction. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Dude, how long have we been rolling? I could go so much longer. Two hours and 10 minutes. I don't right. even know if this... How we long? Two pro- hours, 10 minutes. Yeah. It feels like 15 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I don't even know if this thing has been recorded. Are we good? Yeah, like, Okay, thank God. Well, you we'll, promise? You promise, yeah, bro? Because last dude. time, yeah. we had last a little time. mishap. That's okay, though. Dude, Ryan, Frank, I appreciate you guys coming Love on the you, show. Gene. This was so fucking fun. Thank you, bro. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate you, brother. I learned yeah. a shitload. Like, yeah. I didn't know half the stuff you guys are telling me. So, super insightful. When I write my book, I'll kick you a copy of it. I appreciate Got it. Got you, dog. Signed copy. Bestseller. Yeah. So, how, how, can, how can people find you guys? Follow along, follow iPhone Cities, get in touch. Frankie G. Frankie G's the man. You can hit me up in Florida, but um, yeah, I mean, just go to our website, iPhoneCities.com. iPhoneCities on Instagram at i. Like iPhone, iFund cities. Follow along, everyone. Yeah. Shout out to the rest of the squads, Zig, Chris, all the guys. All the boys, man. We'll have to get an iPhone cities pod with more of the dudes. They sound like really cool people. They're a bunch of homies and they're good guys, man. So that'd be great. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. Thanks, you guys. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.